Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. At 7 o'clock, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And uh, tell you what, something is... Something's going on here. <laughs> you betcha. You betcha the great Kerry Davis is back after being the running backs coach and for one of the teams in the uh, NFLPA All-Star Game. Good to see you, sir. It is good to be seen. I am happy to be back. I didn't know I was coming back to this weather. <laughs> Had I known that it was going to be snowy, icy, and it would take me 55 minutes to get into work on a normal 20-minute drive, I may have stayed in L.A. a couple of more days. I, I love you guys, but I, I may have just looked at the weather report and said, eh, I see you guys on Wednesday or Thursday. You know what, CD? <laughs> if I'm sitting here right now at 7 o'clock and that chair is empty, I don't blame you one I, bit. I, one I, bit. I, I didn't know coming back. I, when I, Randy, I didn't take a coat to L.A. So when I got back <laughs> off the plane yesterday, I was like, oh, what is this? What, are, what is going on here? I had to put my hat on. I did have my hat, but I, I was not prepared for the cold. I, I was I was walking around L.A. We didn't have to. We, didn't have, we, we, we wore light jackets. Pretty good spot. Uh, to be in the same yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you have the ability, we already got the email from our boss it says, that said work from home today. If you have the ability <laughs> to work from home, it's a mess out there. And so it is. Uh, my, my wife and daughter keep their cars in the garage. My son and I keep, because I have to leave first in the morning, my car is outside. And I got home last night from the championship bash and there was no precipitation. The ice had already come down. The roads were terrible by the time I got home. And my wife says, hey, uh, are you going to put your, your windshield cover on? I said, no, it's all done. There's not going to be anything. I get out this morning. There's like a quarter of an inch of ice on my... And here's the really crazy, nutty thing. I I scraped a little bit off, and then I just started driving. You didn't even scrape the whole thing? <laughs> no, you just no. scraped enough, I, enough I, to see through <laughs> the very bottom part of leaning down as much as I can. It was, uh, uh, was not smart, but no. uh, a lot of things I do are not smart, so <laughs> just live with it. Be safe out there. It, it is it is bad, so take your time getting into work. Uh, don't don't be in a rush. Just, no. just drive slowly. We have a Super Bowl matchup for... Two weeks from yesterday, the Philadelphia Eagles, best team in the NFC throughout the course of the regular season, will take on the number one seed in the AFC. Both number one seeds advanced yesterday in the championship games. Eagles pounded the 49ers by a score of 31-7. to And this one, Miles Sanders scoring on a six-yard touchdown run in the first quarter. And the 
Niners, despite losing their quarterback, uh, Josh Purdy early, Brock Purdy, they got a Josh into the game later, Brock Purdy gets knocked out with an elbow on San Francisco's sixth snap of the game. But McCaffrey ties it. It's a 7-7 game, but then it kind of got away. 136 left in the second quarter, and Philadelphia takes the lead. Second down and five. Sanders gets it left side. Big room and a touchdown for Sanders. His second. Uh-oh, a turnover by San Francisco. And before the half is out. Hurts going to give it to Scott. Racing around the edge. Scott is in. Touchdown, Philadelphia. 21-7 at halftime. Jalen Hurts with a one-yard touchdown run late in the third. And then in the fourth quarter, they get a 31-yard field goal from Jake Elliott. And Jalen Hurts is on his way to his first Super Bowl. And we put a lot of work in and had this opportunity, you know. Put a lot of work in and had this opportunity and to be here. And, you know, it's a moment that we want to enjoy as a team. Um, reflecting on everything that we've been able to overcome to have this opportunity in front of us. You know, we want to take advantage of it. We want to take advantage of it. The, the, the atmosphere tonight was amazing. Um, the fans showed up, the energy, all of it. So we need to bring that to AZ. You know, this is why you play those games. You play the entire season to have that home field advantage, um, and it, it, it went well for them. The 49ers, I, I get frustrated when I see offensive coordinators uh, making decisions to have tight ends or, or running backs block defensive ends for extended periods of time. If you're – our coach always told us, Kirby Wilson, our running back coach told us, we don't block the D linemen, we cut them. Because you, <laughs> there is no purpose for you to block a person that gets paid to rush the passer. And that goes for, for tight ends as well. You, you set Brock Purdy up for failure when you put a tight end on one of the best pass rushers in the league in Hassan Reddick. He gets to the quarterback – Sack. He, he causes a fumble, but not only a fumble, injures his elbow, and he's out essentially for the entire game. Came back in, but wasn't able to throw. He was pushing the ball. It, yeah. He was hurt. Um, and, and that Philly team, they just get after it. They they play defense well. The way that they ran the football, I think, was, was a surprise to me because I thought the 49ers team would be They've been stout the entire season mm-hmm. and not allowed you know great rushing attacks to run the tune for four touchdowns uh, rushing, not have any passing touchdowns. They really they really took it to um, San Francisco in the manner in which you thought San Francisco would take it to them. And I, I, obviously at this time of year, Kerry, you've played in those games. Everybody's compromised, but Fred Warner gets hurt on the first yeah. play of the game. I don't think he was 100% for the whole game for San Francisco. And then Bosa gets hurt, and I don't think he was 100%. But I'm, I'm not going to blame that on the 49er loss. Obviously, Purdy getting knocked out, that's one yeah. of the things you try to do as a defense is you're trying to knock out the other team's quarterback, that's right? That's the job. Yeah, <laughs> you got you try to get to the quarterback. You try to, you know, inflict pain on him. And, and you know, if you're hitting him while he's in the throwing motion, that's why quarterbacks don't get touched during practice because you know that those things are, are potentially hazardous and dangerous to the entire season. Brock Purdy gets hit, elbow gets hurt, and now you're out for the entire game. Well, you're able to come back into the game, but... Like I said, you're not able to throw the ball. Um, they were just a running team at that point, which the Eagles are able to just dial it up and get after it any way they wanted to at that point. So My computer, sorry about that. <laughs> but I was going to say, Josh Johnson, who's had – to be playing at this point, he, he's, I think, played 10 games in the – started 10 games in the NFL. And I don't blame him for the way he played – but he goes 7-13 for 74 yards, and he should not be – he shouldn't be playing at a regular season game, let alone an NFC championship game. I mean, I, I 
when I saw him putting his helmet on and they said Josh Johnson, I was baffled. <laughs> I, I, he's still in the Again? league? Still? 15 seasons, Randy, which is absolutely amazing. A great career for him. Yeah. I, I, you, you clap it up to be able yeah. to. I mean, there, there is some, some, you know, some something about you that allows you to stick around that long. 13 teams in 15 years. That's essentially you're moving every single year. A couple of different leagues. He's he's fought and battled his way in. Uh, if you're a backup quarterback. I've had a I've had a teammate tell me the worst thing that ever happened to him was uh, uh, the starting quarterback getting hurt. <laughs> he was a backup yep. quarterback. <laughs> that meant he had to go play. <laughs> had the starting quarterback not gotten hurt, he could have played in the league for 10, 12, 14, 15 years. But he was thrusted into action early in the season for many games and was unable to perform at the level that was needed to, and therefore he was no longer in the league. So, it, it it's a it's a real thing. It, mm-hmm. There are there are quarterbacks that can stick around. I see Rock over there trying to trying to go through his 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 role, mental Rolodex trying to figure out who I am speaking of. But there are there, there are He's one of your best buddies, is he? <laughs> nah, man. Okay, I don't know who you're thinking. I was thinking Charlie Batch. Oh no no no! no Charlie actually Charlie actually played well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Chuck actually when he got his opportunity did a good job. Okay. So he did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a guy, one of my guys. So okay. you know, okay. he's not so just gonna, a guy, but we one of my put guys. That out right. there. But, but he, he played in the NFL, so yes. we're going to give him credit. Yes, played in the NFL. But we poor 49ers, you're on your fourth string quarterback. That's that's going to happen. Meanwhile, in the late game, Cincinnati, man, early on. You're forcing Kansas City into threes, not sevens. Butker with a first quarter field goal. Butker with a second quarter field goal. Evan McPherson gets one for Cincy. It's a 6-3 game, and it is in the second quarter. It's late in the second quarter when this combination came through again. A quick snap, roll off to the side, throw to the flat. Is it there? In zone. Caught! Travis Kelsey with the touchdown on fourth and one. So it was 13-3 in favor of Kansas City at that point, but back comes Cincinnati with a 12-play, 90-yard drive that took 2:03. They end the first half with a field goal. It's a 13-6 lead Chiefs uh, advantage at halftime. In the third quarter, Burrow to T. Higgins, an 8-play, 62-yard drive took three and a half minutes. Game is tied at 13. Back comes Mahomes. He hits Marquez Valdez-Scantling for 19, 20-13 Chiefs as we enter the fourth. Back comes Burrow. He leads a six-play, 45-yard drive, and this is the way that drive ended. Higgins moving to the left side. They go up the middle with P. Ryan, the big body. Wow, ahead for the touchdown! That happens with 225 left CD, and then it was just devastating for... The, the Bengals. First of all, you're going against Patrick Mahomes, who is clearly, clearly compromised with the ankle injury. And they take over at their own 47-yard line. Mahomes goes for six yards to Pacheco, and then Mahomes incomplete short middle to Moore, and then Mahomes with the bad ankle on third and four scrambles right for five yards to the 42-yard line, and Joseph Asai hits him well out of bounds to move Kansas City into field goal range. From 45 yards, all the way, it's good. All right, Kerry, Kerry, so much goes into this. And I I guess we have to start with the fact that Kansas City started off with good field position, right? When you score late, like uh, the the Bengals did to uh, get the the 
or I'm sorry, when the Chiefs take over, take mm-hmm. over at their own 47 after a good return. That that makes a huge difference. It was the return. I mean, yeah. we'll talk about Osai and the the that was a bonehead play, and I'm sure that he was just hustling, trying to get there. It's frustrating. It's heartbreaking. You saw the the pictures of him on the sideline. You know, inconsolable. He was he it, that hurts to to make that mistake because you feel like it's all on you, and you feel like I lost the game. And I will say. I, I, not one play in particular wins or loses a game. We always kind of go down to the last minute of games and look at you know those plays that take place, a push out of bounds, get them an extra fifteen yards. But how about the twenty plus yards that they got on the kick on the punt return got to start yards. that drive? If you make the tackle, it is, and this is why we talk about all three phases of the game. When we talk about kickoff and punt. We usually say that's the first play of defense. That's the first drive. That's the first play of the drive. If you 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 got to stop them. You got to make sure they don't get a lot of yards. You got to make sure if it's a kickoff, they don't get past the fifty, or they don't get outside the twenty. Really, if they get past the fifty, it's a it's a real big problem for the punt team to give up a twenty nine yard return in that situation. Really put the defense at a at a at a at a at a loss at a deficit, mm-hmm. and now you're scrambling trying to make plays. Um, and unfortunately, Osai pushes him out of bounds, pushes Patrick out of bounds, get the extra 15 yards, kick the field goal, you lose the game. But not one play, you know, wins or loses the game. We'll right. look at that play, but I will tell you, look at that punt team, and if every man on that punt team does not feel the way that Osai does, they should. And by the way, there's a lot of guys that would not have been playing in the situation that Patrick Mahomes was playing, right? right? He was – he – I'm a fan. I'm, his talent is immeasurable. But I'll tell you what, to run, to, to make that five-yard run on that ankle, you're putting your career at risk. Now, he's got his money, but he just wants to win. You just want to win. You don't worry about injuries. You don't worry about pain. At that point, everyone's banged up. Everyone is scratching, clawing, trying to get, you know, four yards for a first down, trying to get a uh, get points on the board. You have to do whatever you have to do. And that was a heck of a play by Patrick Mahomes. A great yeah. decision. Um, you know, I would have loved to have seen the, the the play not happen with the push out of bounds at the last second because they had no timeouts left. There, it was 13 seconds, I think, eight seconds left. Mm-hmm. They are going to have to throw another pass, um, potentially over the middle of the field, and then maybe a Hail Mary. Then you probably go into overtime. I would have loved to have seen that happen. Unfortunately, you get the push out of bounds, and then, uh, but but it's all created because Patrick Mahomes is willing to put himself in that situation to make that play. By the way, I get that Zach Taylor was beside himself when Kansas City was given the extra play on third down, yeah, and it would have been fourth and short. But they did have video yeah. of the back yeah. judge waving the play off. Yeah, it's frustrating because you feel like you got to stop. Uh, and 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 now you gotta 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 have another another play, and then on that next play they got a sack, but Eli Apple has yeah. got a little handsy, and so you got another three downs uh, to get a chance to get pick pick up another first down. So it it limits your offensive drives. It takes time off the clock. It gives you one less opportunity to get an offensive drive and potentially put more points on the board. I think. There were some questionable calls all weekend in the officiating. There were some things that you look at and say, eh, I don't like that yeah. call. I'm not a fan of that. As you said, the referee was running onto the field, and it's loud. You're not, you're not going to be able to hear it. 
um, you would have liked to have seen it stop prior to the play actually taking place, though. Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker. If you missed it over the weekend, the Blues lost. I guess you shouldn't be surprised by that anymore. Uh, college basketball on Friday. Slew over Davids, 74-70. Slew has a really good chance to win the A-10 here and wind up with that double bye in the A-10 tournament. Saturday, Mizzou over 12th-ranked Iowa State, 78-61. Tigers just drilled the Cyclones. And Illinois knocks off Wisconsin, 61-51. So it was a great weekend for the area sports teams. Kerry, Randy, Matthew, and coming up, three things we loved about the weekend, or Kerry's week on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Well, we do have three things we loved about the weekend, but there's something more pressing on this Monday morning. ESPN Storm Mode. All right. Yeah, it is a storm. Uh, by the way, if you listen to the meteorologists, I think everybody, everybody went to phone la- to their phone last night, CD, and uh, some of the roads were really bad. But they said, ah, no precipitation. It's like we're not. Yeah. We don't got any. We don't have anything to worry about. Correct. Uh, well, right now it's 18 degrees and snowing in parts of the area, and the snow also came down with a. Uh, Ice storm last night. Mm-hmm. So Kerry Davis takes 50 minutes to get into uh, the office. It took me, well, let me tell you. Okay. And I'm, I'll just tell you, I'll be honest. Uh, I don't like scraping my windshield off. <laughs> we, we've, we, we've learned. <laughs> and is that one of those things you can just not like or like? I don't, I don't think that that's an. I don't think that's an option, though. Yeah. I well, think maybe, uh, maybe. Maybe it is. Clearly. <laughs> so as uh, as uh, who is the uh, Al Pacino character in uh, the, the the Colonel in Set of a Woman that uh, I've been around? You know, <laughs> I forget his name, but. He talked about how it's too damn hard, and so that's uh, that. That is clearing off the ice from the windshield for me. Who we got? Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade. Frank Slade. Yeah. It's too damn hard. <laughs> so here's what I did. I started up the old uh, the old defroster. I thought, you know, this isn't happening. Uh, we live in a microwave society. <laughs> this isn't happening fast, happen fast enough. enough for me. So I back out of the driveway. I can't see a damn thing. I get to the top of the subdivision. I look left, I look right. Well, I don't see any lights through the the, the glaze over my windows. Uh. So I'm going. Turn left. <laughs> get onto Craig Road. And I, I literally, I, I drove my mile and a half without seeing a thing. <laughs> it was glorious. It was just a feel. Yeah. Good feelings. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it's it, it, it's too, my, my point here is that it's too icy for you to be driving. Yes. Okay? Uh, so I just want you to know that, uh, that there is ice on windshields if the, your car was outside. And, uh, be safe. Yeah, be safe. Work harder, people. Work harder at scraping off the windshield. That, that, that works. Yeah. And by the way, you guys need a traffic report? Yeah. Sure. I, I we, think we do, because uh, okay. it's, it's, well, it's hairy out there. One thing we do is we we defrost the 101 ESPN jet copter. So let's get it up in the air. And... Well, let's look at west and eastbound Olive in Creve Court. We just saw a pickup truck go by. But otherwise, pretty clear on west and eastbound Olive. We have an accident, I-70 eastbound at 270. The two right lanes closed. The estimated clearance time is 7.59 in the morning. We also have the exit closed at I-44 to 270. Use an alternate route. The uh, clearance time there, 7.24 this morning. So be careful out there on the icy roads. I'm Captain Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN, Jetcopter 2. <laughs> 
number three. All right, CD, had a great time last night at the championship bash. Thanks to everybody who came out to enjoy the two games and everybody who set it up here for 101 ESPN. It's one of, it, I would say that it's our signature event at 101 ESPN. Helen Fitzgerald does an amazing job. It's a great place to watch games. So that was uh, one of the things I loved about the weekend. Well, my number three, Randy, there was a game on Saturday, I believe, Saturday night between the Boston Celtics and the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. And I was I was watching a man who some say is the GOAT. And I saw this man who, who they say is the GOAT, greatest of all time, Hundred and some odd points from being the all-time points leader in in NBA history, historic basketball player. I saw this man, this gentleman, fall on the floor like a toddler who did not get his way when it was time to get fries from McDonald's. I saw a man whom they called the goat fall on the ground when his mother told him to go to bed for the 10th time tonight because you have to get up at 8 a.m. to go to school. I saw a man that was a toddler-like gentleman, 6'8", 260-pound toddler, fall on the ground, plead his case as if it was a long-lost love leaving him in a movie, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a theater. This is theatrics that I saw on Saturday night from some from a man that some call the GOAT, the greatest of all time. That was one of the best shows I have ever seen in my entire life. One of the best performances I have ever you, you talk about uh, 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 all of the great actors, all of the, the, the thespians, all of the great people who have throughout history that have done amazing things in theater and in film. And none can compare to what I saw Saturday night in the garden on the floor from one James, comma, LeBron. It's amazing to me. It's a great performance. I loved it. He's from Hollywood. Hollywood. He fell out on the ground, a grown man, pleading and said it was gut-wrenching, Randy. Gut-wrenching. A loss in January. In the garden? Come on, man. Kerry, one of the great philosophers of our time, (laughs) used to do the afternoon drive show here on 101 ESPN. His name is Brad Thompson, and uh, you'll hear him a lot. He's one of the all-time greats. And one of his philosophies is, if you don't like it, play better. It's all you got to do. That's it. Yes, you got fouled, man. They missed it, man. Play better. Do you feel the need to do all of that? The man was crawling on the ground, (laughs) pleading. You got Patrick Beverly taking a camera on the court to show the referee that that there was. Man, nobody cares. Next play. We're kind of happy about it. Oh, my God. It was ridiculous. Number two. All right, CD, we enjoyed what I would argue is the greatest stretch of football that any NFL fan base will ever see. The greatest show on turf went to the playoffs in four out of five years. They made it to a couple of Super Bowls. They won one. Greatest offense in the history of the game. When the game was at its peak, late 90s, early 2000s. We, as a fan base, after 1999, kind of took it for granted. And rather than feeling joy when the Rams succeeded... We felt relief, like the players did, because the expectations were so extraordinary. Mm -hmm. This is the third time in six years that our friends across the state, the Kansas City fans, have been to the Super Bowl. A lot of Kansas City Chiefs fans right here in St. Louis, too. 
guys, do not, do not miss out on this. Savor it. Enjoy it. It does not last forever. We can tell you from firsthand experience, even if we still had our team, what you're getting right now does not last forever. So don't act like, well, we didn't win by enough. Or yeah. if you go to the Super Bowl, well, that sucks. We lost to the Super Bowl. As Dick Vermeil said, it's as hard to get to a Super Bowl as it is to win a Super Bowl. And the fact that you have Patrick Mahomes, who's got, if not the best arm talent in the history of the game, tied for first in terms of arm talent and is one of the best winning quarterbacks of all time. And to have a Hall of Fame coach like Andy Reid and the players and coaching staff that you have, savor it and enjoy it. Enjoy it. I mean, as you said, three times in five years is is awesome for that franchise for those men uh playing that game for the coaching staff uh shout out to to a few of my teammates that that are both coaching in this game this weekend greg lewis and aaron moorhead greg for the for the kansas city chiefs aaron for the uh philadelphia eagles so shout out to those guys former line that are that are coaching in that game but it is hard it's hard as kansas city fans do not do not take it for granted because it could be over soon and you would be looking back and saying, wow, we, we, we really didn't appreciate that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, Randy, my number two was just the championship weekend in total. It was it was knowing – I talked to you last week uh, before I left. It, you asked me, do you celebrate certain games? I cel- You celebrate the games where you get T-shirts and you get trophies. And this is a T-shirt game. There's T-shirts, hats. You get to put the hat on after you become the AFC championship uh, champion, after you become the NFC champion. Those are the games that you celebrate um, because you know it means something for the next step. Whether it's uh, winning the division, knowing you're going to go to the playoffs, whether it's winning the AFC or NFC championship, knowing that you're going to play in the Super Bowl, and then obviously winning the Super Bowl championship weekend is a is a great weekend for for the teams that win to to be able to you know go on to the next step uh, to have that opportunity to have the right to play for that championship. So I, I just feel like that's always fun for me to watch watch those men uh, have those moments and celebrate putting those hats on, putting those t-shirts on, and understanding we got one more step to go. And as a community. There is only one thing that can galvanize everybody in a community, and that's sports. Yep. The next two weeks in Kansas City are going to be dizzying. We've been through it with the Stanley Cup run. We've been through it with World Series runs. We went through it with the, the, the Super Bowl runs in 99 and 01. You can have religion. You can have politics. You can have economic boons. You can have uh, people that are, are forefathers of your community. Nobody or no thing can galvanize a community like a winning team. No question. It's the one thing. Sports is the one thing that brings everyone together. Like you said, from different, all different backgrounds, ethnicities, um, you know, it's it does so many things for for our community and, and sports is just a, a blessing to be a part of. And when you're watching it, having fun, it's always good to be a part of. Number one. All right, CD, my last one, and I'll be brief here. Jalen Hurts got benched in the second half of a national championship game playing at the University of Alabama. And Tua came in and led the team to victory in the national championship. And on the heels, right after that game, there could not have been a classier individual than Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. saying, hey, I'm just happy we won. And yep. uh, very happy for Tua. Then he goes to Oklahoma and... He's very classy in his departure from Alabama, goes to Oklahoma, leads them to the Final Four and is fantastic and uh, is a guy that uh, is in the Heisman hunt all year long. And here now, after being drafted in the second round, 
is the extraordinarily classy, extraordinarily competitive, extraordinarily compelling Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl. I just love the fact, these are three things we loved about the weekend. I just love the fact that here is Hurts, and it's not Baker Mayfield, and it's not Tua Tungavailoa, and it's not Mac Jones. It's it's Jalen Hurts that found yeah. his way to Glendale for the Super Bowl. And if there's a guy because of the way he has handled his situation that deserves it, it's Jalen Hurts. He does. I mean, he is a guy that has worked his butt off, um, really made a, a huge leap from year two to year three. The 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 transformation in his game, obviously getting A.J. Brown helps. helps, helps yeah. <laughs> it definitely helps to have uh, a guy like that, another guy like that outside uh, catching passes. But it was it's just been awesome to watch him, as you say, his maturation, you know, not getting down, not getting frustrated, not not feeling like he was owed something or was slighted. I'm just gonna show up and work. I'm gonna continue to work every single day and eventually good things will happen. And that's what he's done and, and kudos to him for doing that. Uh, my number one, Randy, is uh, the weekend, the week that I had, really. Um, but the weekend, the NFLPA uh, All-Star Game, it was put on by the NFLPA. It was an awesome event, um, you know, historic. They just had, they've done so much for these young men that are preparing to go to the NFL, to have the opportunities to play in the NFL. You got, they're talking to former players, they're talking to current players. Um, they talked to, I think they said Saquon Barkley was one of the people that the running backs got an opportunity to speak to. Um, during their, I know the quarterbacks got able to, were able to speak to Mike Vick. They had Zoom meetings with them. I saw Richard Sherman there, Austin Eckler there. You got current players showing up and speaking to them. And it was just a lot of information for those young men. And it was just an awesome time for me to be a part of that, to assist in any way that I could, um, to play in the Rose Bowl. That was my first time ever being there to, to see that, cool. uh, you know, historic stadium. It was awesome for me. And and on top, we won the game. So there you go. <laughs> that, that's always the, the, the cherry on top to win the game. We did a, Our team did a great job, had a good group of guys, um, and it was fun to be a part of. You're a great coach. I appreciate it. Glad had you were there. Time. Had a great time. Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, opening drive, 101 ESPN. Coming up, four downs from the NFL weekend on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Four downs from the NFL weekend. First down. For me, Randy, the the San Francisco 49ers, we talked about how good that team was and, and how special of a team they were. Christian McCaffrey had a had a run on Sunday night that I thought was one of the best runs that I've ever seen. And and I'm just going to let you hear it first and then talk about it. Here is McCaffrey, right side, breaks a tackle, good shifty move, gets that, still going! McCaffrey's going to score! That run tied the game up 7-7. It, it involved a jump over a defender, made another defender miss, ran over one more guy, and then ran it sp- and sprint into the end zone. It was one of the best runs I have ever seen. It's one of the things that you teach your running backs, uh, cut, jump cut, make a guy miss, run a guy over, sprint to the end zone. All of those things were encompassed in that one run. It was the best run. And, I, and, and at the time, I thought it was going to be the thing that allowed that 49ers team to kind of get back into the swing of things. If they could have got a few stops on the defensive end, defensive 
defensive end, they would have been able to run the football even though they weren't able to pass it in the manner in which they wanted to. Unfortunately, uh, Philadelphia just kept running it at them and scoring touchdowns. But that run was was an awesome run. And if you are a running back coach, if you are a running back, a guy that envisions himself as being, you know, wanting to be one of those guys, look at that run and watch it and study it and see exactly what all took place. It was sensational. Second down. All right, sixth snap of the game for the San Francisco 49ers, and Hassan Reddick breaks free, gets to the quarterback, and is able to stop the moving forward arm of Brock Purdy. It looked like he hyperextended the elbow, and Purdy talked about the pain that was inflicted on that play. I've been throwing after the hit occurred on the sideline just to see where I was at, but even in those throws, it was it was painful, and so um, I couldn't throw anything probably over 10 yards, 5 yards, so that's why we just had some screens. Those was really our only option when I, when I went back in. Purdy 4 of 4 for 23 yards. Josh Johnson replaced him 7 of, seven of 13 for 74 yards, no touchdowns. And as soon as Brock Purdy went out, unfortunately, there was no hero there for the 49ers. As soon as Burt Purdy went out, the 49ers were finished because they just could not throw the football. And Kerry, now I wonder because he might have a torn UCL. He might have to undergo Tommy John surgery. At the very least, this opens up a competition for the quarterback position in San Francisco next summer, right? If if they win the game, even if they lose the Super Bowl, it's Purdy's job. Yeah, I think you you were solidified in in your quarterback because Brock Purdy hadn't lost the game up until yesterday. Um, Obviously, the injury forced him out, and, and he came back in, but it forced him out and unable to really be able to be effective as he was. You go in the offseason, and there was a there's an interesting thing. I don't know if you saw this, Randy, but Jimmy G was smiling on the sideline. Now I don't I'm not one of those people that thinks that he was smiling because they were getting their butts kicked. Or, you know, when you get to a certain point in the game, Randy, you know it's over. What what am I gonna be mad about? <laughs> what mm-hmm. if somebody may crack a joke, you may laugh. But it could be looked at as, hey, you all are losing and I'm not I'm not playing and you don't want me back. There's going to be a lot of questions. Is it Trey Lance? Is it Brock Purdy? Is it, do you re-sign Jimmy G? What, is, what do you do at this quarterback position, and how do you find your way to get back into this position next year? Because you got a lot of, you got a lot of question marks in that, mm-hmm. in that quarterback room right now. Third down. Speaking of question marks, the defensive coordinator position for the San Francisco 49ers may be open in a few weeks here, or a few days. The, the, the loss, obviously, heartbreaking as it is, but for D'Amico Ryans, knowing that you have potential head coaching opportunities ahead of you in, in Houston with the Texans or potentially in Denver with the Broncos, who are still uh, being talked about as a potential landing spot for him, his defense pl- – played extremely well the entire season. Yesterday, uh, just a tough game. Obviously, not the route, not the, the the way that they wanted to end it, but he is him being a candidate, <clears throat> excuse me, being a candidate for the those head coaching jobs, I think it's exciting for him. I think it's outstanding for him to get an get an opportunity to lead a team in the fashion and in the manner that he would like to you don't want to lose the game, but it does free him up to get going and get an opportunity to get wherever he's going to land, uh, get get there sooner than later. If you are offered both jobs, Denver and Houston, where are you going? Oh, at least Denver has any ownership you don't know about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, Houston has fired their last two coaches in, in one year. Mm-hmm. Denver fired this coach in one year. Um 
who was before before uh, Nathaniel Hackett in Denver? Fangio. Fangio. He got two years or three. I think he got three. He got three years, and then before him, it was um, it was someone else. That John only Fox. Got, right. it, was, it was someone in between John Fox and and was it and Kubiak. No, there was somebody before Kubiak too. Yeah, I can't remember. Vance who. Joseph. Vance Joseph having the time yes. of his life. <laughs> yes, he got two years. I yeah. think. Yeah. So I mean. Neither one of the the organizations have have shown a lot of stability mm-hmm. over the years. I think if you look at the roster, though, the 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 um, Broncos have the better roster, yeah. but they're in the tougher division, and Houston is in a easier division where you can be under five hundred and potentially make it to the playoffs. And I think D'Amico Ryan's has the personality, demeanor, leadership traits to be a really good head coach. And he, and he played in Houston, yeah. That so helps. that helps as well. Fourth down. All right, I have had over my life kind of a uh, benign disdain for the Philadelphia Eagles. Didn't like them as a kid. <laughs> I, I hated Dick Vermeil when he actually turned them good and they would beat the football Cardinals. Uh, but I didn't really care what happened to that franchise. You know, they didn't do anything during the 80s when it was Washington. It was the Giants. It, you know, they didn't do much. And obviously into the 90s, the, the Dallas. And Philadelphia was kind of an aside. And even during the years with DeMarco, or uh, DeMarco, with um, Donovan McNabb, yeah, yeah, could take him or leave him. I started liking him when Chris Long went there because okay. I, Chris was our guy, and I loved it when they won in 2017. But I'm willing to give that organization props because you fire Andy Reid, and I thought, oh, here they go, back to what they were in the 70s and early 80s, or the, I guess the 60s and early 70s. And they did have Chip Kelly for a couple of years, and they actually were not terrible under Chip Kelly, 10 and 6, 10 and 6, and then he was fired during a 7 and 9 season. But they hired Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. They go to a Super Bowl. Fire Doug Peterson after a bad year and bring in Nick Sirianni. They're going to another Super Bowl. I'm willing to give Jeffrey Lurie credit now because he appears to be have a better understanding of what it takes to win than I thought he did. I, I will give Nick Sirianni credit as well. He had a terrible first press conference, and he mm-hmm. and they talked about it. He said he actually showed that to his team, saying, I have to get better as well. So it's not it's not one of those things. When you are a head coach or when you are a coach and you can show or say, you know what, I messed that up, my bad, that's my fault, it makes your players trust you more. It makes them more willing to take the criticism that you give them, and now you have a better team. I think he's done an outstanding job for for this organization in in, in such a short period of time to get them going to the Super Bowl uh, again in a few years that they've been. It's going to be fun to see this matchup, to see this defense, how they get after Patrick Mahomes, and see how this offense plays if, with a healthy, I think a few more few more weeks away, a healthier Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I I have a ton of respect for Philadelphia now. So the the benign disdain is gone, and I just have respect for them. <laughs> And it was it's, so, it's, 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 like, it's, it's, it's a, a weird feeling because I don't care about them. I just don't like them. Right. I, I don't hate them. I just don't like them. It's really benign. But <laughs> I if, they were, that. If, if they were playing Washington, <laughs> if they were playing the Giants, well, I, I wanted them to beat the Cowboys. Most teams when Philadelphia was playing, I wanted Philadelphia to lose. Hmm. Now, now, did part of that carry over from other Philadelphia sports and your feeling about no. them? No. The Broad Street Bullies affect that maybe at all? No. I, I honestly just did not care about them at all. Like, like of the of the interest I had in all thirty two franchises, they were always 30, 31, 32. They were <laughs> the, the magic of Randall Cunningham just didn't really didn't, catch you. No, I, I, Michael Vick and Randall Cunningham. When Mike got there, I was I was thrilled. And when Randall Cunningham was doing his thing, I was well, you know, Randall and Reggie White yeah. and those guys. That and by the way, another some good football. As uh, much as Montgomery. I hate what Michael Vick did. 
I do admire them for providing him mm-hmm. the chance to kind of res- not just resurrect his career, but resurrect his life. Yep, yep. And I, I saw a, an interview that Aeneas Williams did with him, and it was fantastic. And he, he's just, he's a grown-up. Yeah. He's, he's matured. Yep. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. Those are four downs from the NFL. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. Kerry hasn't done this in a week. 314-399-YO-HO! Take it or leave it next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. And start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Carrie Davis, Randy Carricker, Matthew Rocchio. Great to have you with us on this icy St. Louis morning. Actually, a few more. There was a bus that just went by. A few more cars going up and down there were, Olive Boulevard here in Creepcore. There was about... No lie, maybe seven to eight cars that were turned around on my oh. road on my uh, route in. Isn't that amazing? I saw they, that last night on the yeah, way home from the they, championship. They were they were turned around. They were you know off to the side. I was like, oh, oh, this is this is dangerous. Be safe. Be safe. Uh, CD the St. Louis Blues after losing in Colorado. And by the way, they play Winnipeg tonight, six o'clock pregame, seven o'clock uh, faceoff from Winnipeg. At least we're here, then they're there. But uh, take it or leave it. At this stage, you would rather see the Blues in the draft lottery than making the playoffs. Ah, Randy, I, that would be that would mean you have to watch more losses. Correct? Yes, this is true. I'm going to leave it. I, I, I'm not a proponent of losing games. I'm not a proponent of uh, stinking it up for for draft picks or uh, you know all of the 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 sayings that come with. Getting a top pick, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to tank. I don't want to tank hard for Bedard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't want to tank hard. That's a good one. Tank hard. Don't yeah. use any other ones. Tank hard <laughs> yeah. for Bedard. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to lose in order to get a player that may or may not be great. I don't know. He may be. Maybe he's the next great one. I, maybe not. Maybe he. Maybe he's built up to be that. I don't want to lose games, Randy. And I, I just don't want to show up every week knowing every, every well for me football every week, yep. but in hockey every day, knowing that I'm not going to win. Your competitiveness is admirable. Yeah, it would. It would. It would drive me. I would be unbearable, Randy. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you know this about me. <laughs> I would be unbearable to be around, Randy. I lost. <laughs> I lost so many games my senior year in college. We went one in ten, and by the middle of that thing, Randy, I was one of the worst people. <laughs> I, I really I, I, we were playing Michigan this is the true story I, and I know we gotta get to it we were playing Michigan and I was the team captain and I was the one that would always speak to the team and, and get everybody going in the right direction I was the the, the heart like let's go and so we were we were getting ready to play Michigan we were one in six at the time one in five one in six and one of my teammates came to me and tapped me on the shoulder CD you gonna you gonna talk to the team I, I pulled my headphones off and I looked at him I said for what all y'all gonna do is let me down oh my god okay so knowing this I was in survival mode Randy so so knowing this okay quick take or leave it when Trev Williams did his thing yesterday, you said, eh, 
<laughs> kind of get it. Yeah, I get it. All right, man, it's frustration. All right. Hey, man, you're going home anyway. So I'm going to go get my shower in early. It's too many people. It's not enough showers in there. I'm going to go get mine in early. I'll see you guys later. Got to go. Right, it's going to be a fine in his like He gets paid pretty well. He'll be okay. Yeah, There's only right. so many times on third and 13 where you can run block. Man, I've been in that situation as well. <laughs> it is not an easy life. So, Randy, we were, we were talking about uh, Stetson Bennett. He got arrested over the weekend for, for public intoxication. Take it or leave it. That's one of the strangest things to get arrested for. I mean, let's say you get drunk at a bar. Let's, a let's say you don't want to drive because it's not safe to drink and drive. You don't want to drive because it's not safe to drink and drive. And let's say you lost your phone so you can't call an Uber. How are you supposed to get home? Are you supposed to sit in said bar until you sober up? Or should you walk? And if you're walking and you're drunk... And you knock on the wrong door. I mean, I was just saying. like, Yeah, I, th- I think... He- the thing for him, for Stetson, was was knocking on people's doors. If Stetson just, just walks home, collapses in somebody's front yard, <laughs> please see that all the time, right? We've, we've, They're going to okay, arrest him tell, for that, too. Tell me you haven't been there. Oh, I'm sorry, Randy. I've been, <laughs> listen, I've, I've walked some streets so, of Champagne publicly intoxicated. Can't be knocking yeah. on doors, yeah. though. So, uh, no, yeah, that, 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 that's that. the issue. You got to collapse on somebody's front yard. Just pass out? Yeah, just pass just, out. Just say, I'm yeah. done. And the cops will say, okay, we know. We, we, He's we drunk. get it. We see it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Take I'm, I'm going to say public intoxication is overrated. That's fair. He was in Dallas, correct? Yes, yeah. he was. Take yeah. it or leave it. If he's in Athens, they just get him, get him to the house. Oh, yes. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> take that. Stetson, please, sir. Here's Stetson. A, here's an advent. Don't go water. knock on doors. What are you doing? I'll sit on my couch. Answer the door. Yeah. That, Stetson, come, 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 sleep it off. It's okay. <laughs> so, so here's what had happened. Here's what had happened in in uh, in in Athens. So a cop would start putting him. We're going to drive you home. And another cop would say, oh, no, you got to get him an Uber. And then another cop would say, no, no, you got to get him a limo. <laughs> get him home and put some money in his pocket while you're doing it. There's a 9 out of 10 chance, and if he's in Athens, he knocks on the door, the person says, I'll sleep on the couch. Why don't you, you take my bed? My bed. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's legitimate. People would give the bed up for him. It's true. Also, my wife's right there, so you say hi yeah. to her as well. <laughs> what do you got, Rock? Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Sadly... Scott Rowland will not wear a Cardinals cap in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to leave that. I believe, in my heart of hearts, that Scott Rowland became a Hall of Famer as a member of the Cardinals. And I don't think that the Baseball Hall of Fame says, oh, there's too many Cardinals and not enough Phillies in there. I think that they look at each individual career in and of itself. And if they're logical, they have to say, just like Albert Pujols became Mm -hmm. a Hall of Famer with the Cardinals, that Scott Rowland became a Hall of Famer with the Cardinals. That's what he's going to be remembered for. All the Hall of Fame materials on their website, they show them wearing a Cardinal cap. Yeah. Nobody's got a Phillies do, cap. Do also, the players also, get to pick, or or is it? No, because it in the NFL, be way. the players get to pick, correct? Well, they, they don't have, all they have is the plaque with the teams they played for. Got you. Okay. But in baseball, it used to be that way, that if, if there was a decision to be made, they'd give it to the player. Mm-hmm. But Wade Boggs signed a contract with the Rays. He was from Tampa mm-hmm. at the end of his career. And part of the contract was that he would go into the Hall of Fame with the Tampa Bay Rays wow. cap. And, be, and the Hall of Fame said, no, we aren't doing this. <laughs> we're, we're, we're making this decision, not you, buddy. Uh, they should take into account that he, like one of Scott Rowland's worth enemies is the Philadelphia media. That's true. <laughs> that, just, yeah. that would just be an odd fit, if you ask me. Take it or leave it. Lighting up the New York skyline in Eagles colors shows that the NFL 
NFL is a national product and not a local one. Yeah, I'll take that. I did mean, that happen? Yeah, it did. Yeah, they lit, they lit up the uh, Empire State Building after the Eagles won in, in, in green yeah. Eagles colors, and they put out a tweet in New Yorkers. Ooh, not happy. Who? No. Which company decided that that was acceptable? Yeah, yeah, what are we doing? The Eagles knocked the Giants out of the playoffs. Mm, mm, mm. You can't do that. But it is. It's a. It's an unbelievable product. The the National Football League. It's uh, as uh, uh, U.S. Deputy Marshal Samuel Gerard said in The Fugitive, this company's a monster. <laughs> and and uh, you remember that scene, right? It's, uh, they are. They're a monster. It makes me think, is Pittsburgh during Halloween conspicuously absent of a lot of orange and black Oh, together? yeah. It's not going to. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't ever. I, listen. Seriously? You wouldn't. I, I, I say this. And I believe this wholeheartedly. You would never see. No, no, no. I, I'm, you probably see black and orange, but you wouldn't see a building with black and orange for Halloween. That building would be wouldn't be there. I mean, it, it is, would be it windows during, busted it out is during football season too. <laughs> it would be windows busted out when they got to work on Monday. Like, who decided to light these lights this color? It's it, not it going to happen. It's not Halloween. Those are Bengals colors. What are we doing? Oh, jeez. Right. Pittsburgh isn't lighting up their skyline in purple. Uh, not at all. It, no. Never. It is Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day. Take it or leave in the air of Amazon. We should take time to celebrate this day. I'll take it. And I will say this. I can spend hours popping individual bubbles on bubble wrap. I, hours. Okay. When did we get all of these days, appreciation days? I mean, I you just have to sign up for them. I think we could probably have an open drive create, appreciation day. We should do that. Point. Randy, did you know now that they, and I thought these were just like a kitschy thing for kids, and they are, but still. Do you know that they make these things called poppers, which are like these silicone like squares or circles where you where it's just- it's All like, day long. You can just pop it like it's a- like it's a bubble wrap, yep. but it's but because it's like a silicone thing, it comes back. You just come, you just turn it over, and you can repop hey, them again. Can't do it. I have can't a ten-year-old. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know. I, I know. Have you sat there and done it before? Uh, no, I've watched him do me. it. You're no, lying I, to me. I, I, I mean, it's, you yeah. had ultimate After two or three times. Wrap and you yeah, never were like, it's not the same. You never sat there for a couple minutes. No. when you were bored. The bubble wrap is definitely you get to pop those. It's a lot more satisfying. You want to flatten out that. Sheet of it's, it's, bubbles, yeah. right? You want you 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 a big bubble or or the smaller bubbles? Smaller bubbles. It takes more time. You? Yeah, yeah I, those take a little more time. Yeah. yeah. Today is National Croissant Day, also, by the way. <laughs> oh. In this weather, a croissant would a nice warm croissant. Would if you ever get the chance to go over to Le Bon Boucher on Olive? Whoa! Hello, Le Bon Boucher. They, they right. have Ooh, themselves a chocolate croissant over there. It's really good. Uh, by the way, tomorrow is National Backward Day. Tomorrow is, I'm holding some hot chocolate. Tomorrow's National Hot Chocolate Day. You got hot cocoa today? Oh, you betcha. Uh, it's cold out. It is. Nas- tomorrow's National <laughs> Plan for cocoa. Vacation Day. Mm, could have been today. <laughs> That's a good day. Good one. That I mean, would have been a good one. You're home with the last family. Last week was all that for me. I could have planned on Monday being off. I, I, I promise I wish I had looked at the weather report. <laughs> you all might not have helped you. It, it might not have. You're probably right. St. Louis weather is kind of yep. so National Bubble Wrap Day. Congratulations to Bubble Wrap. Carrie, <laughs> Matthew, Randy, coming up next on 101 ESPN. ESPN.com claims that the Cardinals have the second best offense in baseball. Could they be right? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. Reward yourself. Earn 2% back on every purchase with the Schnucks Rewards app. 
towards the left field corner. Pretty well struck. That one is gone. Just tucked it in over the wall. And inside the foul pole the opposite way. He breaks up the no-hitter, breaks up the shutout. In the air, out to deep left, off the bat of Carlson. It is gone! Bush Stadium going nuts! Got to show them then as we... Call it, Ozzy. That was a big fly. <laughs> that was a no-doubter. No-doubter indeed. Back-to-back. The St. Louis Cardinals tied for the third most runs per game in Major League Baseball last year. And Bradford Doolittle at ESPN.com penned a piece last week on Friday in which he stated... Kerry Davis, that the St. Louis Cardinals have the second best lineup in all of baseball. And it's way too early 2003 MLB lineup rankings. Bradford Doolittle writes, the dynamic is on full display with these rankings where a new top lineup has emerged, that's the Padres, setting a high bar of expectations for franchise that's never won a World Series. They've also got some perennially elite offenses that look, well, not elite. Though, of course, it might be way too early to be drawing these conclusions. He says of the Cardinals, rated number two, and he gives their projected lineup, and I don't think this is correct, by the way, he has it as Edmund Contreras-Goldie, Arenado, Donovan, O'Neal, Newt Barr, Yepes, and Carlson. He writes, it doesn't look like the most athletic Cardinals team in history, but it does look like a lineup that can mash up and down the order, as in from very top to very bottom. For that statement to turn out to be true, it'll require continued development and success from some young players like Dylan Carlson, Lars Nudbar, Brendan Donovan, and Juan Yepes. But it's an impressive mix, and the base lineup doesn't even include Nolan Gorman, who can mash but has questionable strikeout strike zone command, and Jordan Walker, who could hit St. Louis with a flourish this season. When we say the Cardinals' applied speed is a weakness, it's just an observed trait, not a cond- condemnation. And this is simply how the club has been built, and that trait hasn't derailed the ability of St. Louis to field elite defenses. Lineup already deep, got longer with the offseason addition of Contreras. The Cardinals are projected to have six players in the 90th percentile or better by OPS Plus, the most of any club in the majors. That's pretty promising. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds like a lineup. The way he explains, it sounds like a lineup that's going to hit a lot of baseballs and have a lot of success, score a lot of runs, and potentially win a lot of games. I have a couple questions for you. Yes. Thoughts on Dylan Carlson being in the being the ninth place hitter? I don't love that. As a matter of fact, if Dylan Carlson has a great spring training, mm-hmm. I'd really like him in the two hole. And I'm going to start right now either Newbar or Donovan up at the top of the order. Okay. So, uh, so Tommy Edmond would be your ninth place hitter. He would yeah. be the one to, to roll the lineup over. Bingo. Okay. Uh, and then you, you you said you don't agree with the lineup. Is that because there's not one uh, Nolan Gorman in that lineup? No, because I think Gorman will see time. I think it'll be Gorman and, and Yepes. Okay. Split time there. I Here's the way I look at it. I think if Tyler O'Neill is healthy, and he's mm-hmm. got O'Neill as a number six hitter, I would be inclined to go Donovan, Carlson, Goldie, Arenado, O'Neill, Contreras. I will keep Newtbar as the number seven hitter. Gorman or Yepes, eight, and then Tommy Edmund, nine. That's the way I would do it, but it'll change a lot during the course of the season because one thing that the manager, Ali Marmal, does is goes by the individual numbers of players against pitchers. So we aren't going to see the same same leadoff hitter every day. We aren't going to, The only thing that is a certainty in this lineup is Goldschmidt third and Arenado fourth. Do you feel that the inconsistency of lineups it ha- can impact the team? Like if you don't have that same lineup, you know, those guys are starting 
140 some odd games together. That same lineup having continuity doesn't that help with a team and and, and an offense really understand how they're going to score runs? I think it used. I used to feel that way. There's no doubt. But here's what I believe now: is if Tyler O'Neill is one for 18 with nine strikeouts mm-hmm. against the pitcher, and Wilson Contreras is 13 for 26 with four homers against that pitcher, then Contreras should be hitting right. ahead of O'Neill. Okay. I'm willing to change those numbers around. But like I said, I want Goldie and Arenado to be able to come to the ballpark every single day knowing where they're going to hit in the lineup. Everybody else, well, to me, is yeah. fungible in that. I think they are going to be three and four every yeah. single day. I don't think that ever changes. Um, when When... Walker gets here, Jordan Walker gets here, where does he fit into that lineup? I'm going to start him in the bottom of the order, 7th or 8th, just to take the pressure off of him. Okay. And then as he shows us that he is the best Cardinal hitter since Albert Pujols, he rises up the lineup. To number 5? Yep. Is he, is Maybe he right number behind? 2. How, how about Either that? Before how, or how after the big guys? 6'5", 240-pound guy that can fly ahead of those two get guys? Get some guys and get him on base? Wow. That'd be nice. And that's kind of what you just mentioned there and what Greg Amzinger mentioned when we talked to him about Tyler O'Neill when he was here. And then you look at Tommy Edmond, you look at a Dylan Carlson. If their speed is supposed to be their one big weakness, I'm not seeing much of a weakness there potentially. That, that, in my opinion, that could be an asset for this Cardinals offense. When you look at everybody outside of Gold, you know, Goldie Arenado and Contreras, there's speed all over this right. place in a lot of ways. I mean, I mean, Greg said O'Neill could be, you know, is one of the you know potential guys in the MLB who could have a 40-40 campaign. I mean, that's that is dangerous kind of levels of speed, and we saw them use Edmund last year. I mean, there was a while there for the first two, three months where he was trending as the leading base dealer in the National League. I think, I don't know how speed's going to be a weakness for this team. I don't know if it'll be a speed, uh, if, if it'll be a weakness. I just don't think it'll be utilized because there's so many guys that can hit home runs. I don't think that they have it in them to take the chance to steal bases. Even with six fewer inches between first and second or second and third, if you have Wilson Contreras at the plate and let's put Jordan Walker mm-hmm. on first base, you think Contreras is going to hit a home run, right? So you yeah. don't run Jordan Walker because you, the Cardinals are a team that's still going to play for the home run. Or you could think he's going to hit one in the gap, and if you're on second base, you you walk home. And you intimidate the pitcher. You intimidate <laughs> yeah, I, the pitcher. I think, I, for me, the 80s was my fa- favorite version of Cardinal baseball ever. Because those guys were flying, they were just running, stealing bases. They were, they they were they were pro- they were a problem on the base paths. And as a kid, that excited me to watch. You know, baseball became stagnant, base to base, and it wasn't as fun. And that kind of, you know, for for a young black kid, that took away that viewership. But when you have guys that are running, that are showing athleticism, and you're seeing guys steal bases, you know, steal home, steal third, it, it makes the game more exciting. And I hope they get back to a little bit of that because when you do have big bats like you have in Arenado and you have in Goldie, if you get those guys on second base, now that pitcher, the strike zone it shrinks a little bit more. He's going to he's gonna tighten up a little bit because he's not going to want to make a make a mistake. Kerry, I will never forget walking into the office of Phillies manager Lee Ely in 1988. Obviously, with the Cubs in 1983, had the famous rant. We've got a long show today. We'll play the Lee Ely rant for you because it's fun and it's cold and it's icy outside. <laughs> But walk into the office and the Cardinals had beaten the Phillies and Lee Elias says, you know, our pitchers, that damn Coleman just intimidated the hell out of them. <laughs> Here's a guy that 
weighs 155 pounds, right? Never going to hit a home run, mm-hmm. but got on first base and only had to stand there to intimidate the hell out of the opposition. And just the thought that he might take mm-hmm. off is going to strike fear in an opposing pitcher. Yeah. It just is it's something that you you're not focusing on the person at the plate because this guy takes off. Mm-hmm. We're, we're putting a lot of stress on our defense when he's running. So yeah, I, I like I loved that version of baseball, of Cardinal baseball specifically. And I would love to see the Cardinals bring Vince to spring training to talk about stealing bases with these young guys. By the way, after the Padres and the Cardinals, Bradford Doolittle has the Braves as the third best offense in baseball. Houston number four, the Blue Jays number five. <laughs> to be better than the Blue Jays is saying something, by the way. Dodgers number six, Seattle seventh, Mets eighth, Phillies ninth, and Yankees tenth. And you can read Bradford Doolittle's piece at ESPN.com. When does he come out with the pitching the the the, the pitching? Yeah, we don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> we are talking about that. <laughs> because we gotta number two for lineups is is uh, it's pretty good. Be fun. It's pretty damn good. But if you are 28, 29 yeah. for Starting pitching and, and bullpen. Uh. I don't trust his projections. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch be- of BS. <laughs> we agree with what we want to agree with, and when it doesn't look good, hey, what the hell does this guy know? Huh? From Doolittle, he's so he doesn't smart. know anything. He's, yeah. What has he done? Yeah. It's beautiful. That's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues are in Winnipeg. We're going to find out if it's worse here or in Winnipeg with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, next on 101 ESPN. Back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Is 17 degrees in St. Louis at 819. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 17 degrees with an ice storm. By the way, the feels like temperature is 9. We head to Winnipeg. Carrie and Randy with you. And Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is with us. The Blues in Winnipeg tonight. 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff. Good morning, Kerbs. How are you doing? You got us beating the weather department? Uh, well, yeah, there was already snow and ice and stuff on the ground. Uh, and when we arrived, I think the temperature was minus six. Mm. Okay. Yeah, you yeah. win. You win. Curbs, I just got back from L.A. and I was debating as I was driving in this morning why I was coming into work. <laughs> the weather is, is a little bad. Hey, quick question. Before we get into anything hockey, uh, you being a, a huge New York Giants fan, how are you feeling about the Philadelphia Eagles going to the Super Bowl uh, in a couple of weeks? Well, I think it's fantastic that the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl because now I have a clear rooting interest for the other team. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Giants fan right there, through and through. Right? There you, you go. Know, like so, it was it actually like I, I would have loved it if last night's game between the Bengals and the uh, and the Chiefs was the Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> so I mean, they don't was, even... <laughs> that, that that one's straight. So I'm 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 pulling for the Chiefs in this one. Hey, Curbs. Uh... Another slow start for the Blues and another loss Saturday in Colorado. And right now they're sitting eight games, eight points out of a playoff spot. Uh, they've fallen, as you mentioned, I think at the end of the telecast or under the uh, at the end of the broadcast. They're under five hundred now at twenty three, twenty four, and three. This is a really big picture question because there has been so much that's gone wrong. But what's gone wrong? Uh, I think this year you had a. 
I, I think may, I wonder if a couple things were underestimated in terms of the makeup of this team. Uh, I, I think the to me the biggest thing is you're a team that's in some transition, and you're going to have these bumps in the roads until the players you're transitioning to get the experience and the grip that they need. It, it and to me, Randy, it's it's no different than. You know, kind of the, the the changes, and you were losing games in 07, 08, you know, first half of 09, made the good playoff run in 09, missed the playoffs the next couple of years. Because good teams find a way to either come back or win those one-goal games. Teams that are struggling, you find ways to lose them. And this team has become a team that has found ways to lose games. Uh, you know, the, the net coming off its mooring that probably should have just been a two-minute penalty and the goal is awarded. Different, you're finding different ways to lose. And um, and it, for whatever reason, and, and I can't put a finger on it, and I'm sure a lot can't either, but for whatever reason, there's just there just hasn't been buy-in in certain styles of, of play that are needed that are needed to win. And there's little there's little detail things. So we're, we're watching the game. There's a, the puck is in the corner in Colorado. The the as they're trying to come out of the corner with it, we've got good pressure coming after him. Vladimir Tarasenko just kind of swoops. You know, if he goes straight into the puck and into the boards with the guy, we probably get that puck back. Instead, there's a big swoop. There's no stop and starts. Uh, there was another play in the neutral zone where, you know, guy does a swooping play with one hand on a stick and we turn it over rather than stop and start on the puck and make a play. And we talked to Craig Berube about stops and starts, and he says, man, it's been a, even an issue across the league. But when you watch teams that do it, they're successful. So little those little hey, you know details like that have just been hurting them all season long, and, and that commitment to play a certain style just doesn't seem to be there. Hey, Curbs, Randy and I were talking earlier about um, this team kind of being that position where you know either you're going to be good enough to make it to the playoffs or, or bad enough to to get one of the top picks. And that's one of those conversations that they have in the front office. It's not like they come to the players and say, hey, we're going to start losing. But what the transition is, you start playing younger guys. Those guys get more minutes because you know you're not going to have the success to to win games at the rate you need to. How does that go over with this team? I mean, because for me, I don't want to ever lose. I would be a terrible person to be around if we're continuously losing. How does that go over with those guys having to, having to make that decision and, and really it being taken out of their hands at some point? Well, and it's been a process of, I'd say, two or three years coming. When you make a trade and you, you trade Oscar Sundquist away, you let David Perron walk. You know, we've seen Alex Petrangelo lead via free agency. Jaden Schwartz lead via free agency. You went through those growing pains with those players. Those players become winners. Those players become your experienced guys. Now, you still have some of them. I mean, there's still a Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Shen, you know, and other guys. You've got those four defensemen that are under contract for a while. You've got a Stanley Cup champion goaltender in Jordan Bennington. But but the roster's not as deep. So it's those other players that need to learn how to do it. And when you're getting Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo in positions and in situations and it's, you know, ice time starts, situational starts that they just don't have a ton of ex- the same experience in because it was Shen, because it was O'Reilly getting those, because it was Perron playing those situations, not Cairo. You, uh, 
that's where those growing pains are going to be. And, and it's, and it's, it's fairly acceptable and understandable. And you know what? And that's why, that's why you can play the Toronto Maple Leafs. And at times look, look like a really strong playoff team. That's why you could look as good as you looked in the third period against Colorado. You've got good players that are there. It's just going to take some time. Now it's happening. Unfortunately, when a key group of guys are going to be unrestricted free agents. And so the makeup of the team is going to continue to change while you're going to end up waiting for a snugger route or maybe a bulldog to come in and, and, and make a difference over a couple of years. So they're, they're not going to be going into a rebuild, but they are definitely uh, in a retweaking retooling mode. That's this naturally coming, I think because of contracts and it's part of a process and you just hope that you get the right veterans in to help keep that process from spiraling out of control. Hey, Curbs, one thing that uh, I I want people to know that I believe is that I think despite the struggles here, Craig Bruby's done a pretty do- darn good job with this club. We know Craig Bruby can develop young players. We've seen that. We know he can win a Stanley Cup. We've seen that. And Doug Armstrong said eight games into the season that he said to the players, look, the coach isn't going anywhere. If anybody's not going to hold up their end of the bargain, as far as players are concerned, that's where we'll make changes. And I'm glad that's the case. We've had enough guys, Scotty Bowman, Jacques Demers, uh, Al Arbor, Joel Quenville. We've had enough guys leave here and go win Stanley Cups elsewhere. I don't think the problem is the coach. No, I don't think the problem is the coach, but I do also think that the coaches are going to have to probably do some adjusting like you're asking the players to do as well. And that is that, you know, I think I think towards the end of Ken Hitchcock's time here, you know, Ken Hitchcock had that one style of play he wanted to go when David Backus and Troy Brower and some of the bigger bodies were gone. You know, it, it wasn't quite the same. And, and they had to be careful because as Hitch would bark and get louder, you know, the players started to tune them out. And so whether it be how you handle it, how you discuss things with the players, whatever adjustments on the ice are made, uh, drills that are run in practice, focus on different things, there's probably got to be some adjustment on the coaching uh, part as well to, to get this kind of figured out. But sometimes you also do have to re- accept the reality of you are what your record says you are. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's a team that's a 500 team, and you, you've just got to keep going and working at it and build whatever you can build towards the, the rest of this year. It, it, you're not out of it. You could still make some noise. There's no doubt about that. You've got 32 games to go. But, but you also have to see some right things from some right guys, and that inconsistency just doesn't seem to continue to be there. That, that's a challenge for a coaching staff to continue to try and get there without losing a room and without uh, drowning them out by having to scream and yell too much. Hey, Curves, I'm, I'm looking at these stats, and, and I think in 23 of their 24 uh, losses in, in regulation, they've given up four or more goals. Is it just that simple, this not giving up that many shots on goal, not giving up that many goals? How do you prevent that from happening repeatedly when it's clearly the reason why they're not, why they're not winning those games? This, yeah, this team, for whatever reason, has just been dreadful defensively. Uh, and and they've gotten, I think, better than average goaltending out of Jordan Bennington, even though like, I know that the numbers in this case don't show that. But if you if you watch what we've watched, like if he made some more grade A terrific saves in that in that Colorado game. Um, I, you know, Gary, this is this has been, I think, maybe the big you know enigma all all season long is how, how are they. How are they getting tapping goals? How are, how are, you know, there was another one with a guy right in front of the net just left all alone in the last game. But I think on two of the goals, the defensemen have their men and they're all marked up. And so much of what's going on for me defensively with this hockey team ends up going on the forwards. 
uh, not getting back into the zone hard enough. Uh, there's one shot where you've got you know two forwards gliding back, and these are veteran guys, you know, and not closing the gap. And it was one of their guys that 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 had the tap in goal. So to me, uh, it's it, again, it's that mental commitment from everybody of of when you're going out, like little detail things. Sometimes we've seen players go to the bench for a line change when the puck was being shot in by the other team and the forward having to come onto the ice and had to race back into the zone to try and get in position to play. And, and it's, it's just leaving your teammates in, in those little details that make a big difference. And, and there hasn't been enough accountability amongst the players themselves, uh, you know, and even maybe the coaches, to make sure that that kind of stuff stops. And it's kind of been biting them all season long. Curbs will be tuned in tonight, 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff from Winnipeg. And enjoy uh, your hotel room today. <laughs> I did guess it. You know, it's the kind of walking. It's it, You walk outside and it gets this cold out here, and it's sort of like body parts of your freezed other body parts. You're like, okay, we got to go back inside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll see you later, brother. Take care. <laughs> see you guys. That is Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN, joining us every Monday here on the opening drive. Coming up, do we have a fighter? Uh, no, we need we need a fighter. You can text in uh, to the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YO-HO. Text in the word fight, and perhaps you can participate next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight in the red corner, Average Joe. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Matthew Rocchio, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Kevin. Kevin, how are you doing this morning? Good morning, Kerry. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Now, Rock, I don't know. How, how did the week go while I was out? I don't uh, know. Randy went 5-0. and oh, well, That's expected. All and, right, I Kevin. Got, and I got accused of softballing him questions oh, multiple well, times. That happens from and time I, to time. I, I, it was a scurrilous accusation. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I love our fighters, but the, the, the Venn diagram of questions that are that, – that they know mm-hmm. that Randy might not just because he doesn't get the options yeah. is a very small overlap. So trying to find those questions in the overlap, that's the tricky part. Well, maybe we got some of those questions today. Kevin, are you ready to roll? I'm ready. All right, here we go. On this day, 23 years ago, ooh, wow, your St. Louis Rams <laughs> won the Super Bowl. Who was the only Titan to score a touchdown in that game? Was it Frank Wycheck, Steve McNair, or Eddie George? McNair. Who holds the record for the most TDs thrown in a single Super Bowl? Is that Steve Young, Kurt Warner, or Joe Montana? Young, Steve Young. Only two players in MLB history have tallied four different 30-30 campaigns. Barry Bonds is the first to do it. Who is the only other player to do it since? Is it Ryan Braun, Carlos Beltran, or Alfonso Soriano? Go Beltran. All right, Scott Rowland is one of two third basemen to debut in the last 30 years and reach the Hall of Fame. Who is the other? Is it Chipper Jones, Adrian Beltre, or Alex Rodriguez? Who was the first one? Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones. All right. We will double-check our score, and we will bring in Randy Carricker. 
How you feeling, Kevin? What's up, Randy? No, it's still Kerry. Randy is on his way oh, in. Okay. Right on. How, how do you feel about that? I did. Yeah. I'm 50-50. I know I got to Steve Young. He threw six in that Super Bowl. <laughs> you got that one for sure. So you're 50-50 on the questions right now. Right. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Randy came in without any. Oh, I, I, uh, he topped it off. He topped yeah, it off. A little uh, propel did he, did in the uh, in the recycling bin over there. Okay. He drank it on his way out. Had a banana. And, okay. Well, you, you're you're fueled and ready to go then. I, I am. Sir. I heard you were five and zero the week I was out. Yeah, Not no he, problems he, at all. No no overtime games. No ties. Well, Not that I recall. No no. Uh, Maybe there would Monday or one? Tuesday was a four four tie. Oh, that's okay. right. And Randy oh. had to win the tiebreaker. Hmm. Well, that's Randy. Where, that we use the tiebreaker that you love, the Michael Jordan 300, that was an awesome 320, 40 point games. Pretty, pretty amazing. He was a pretty good basketball player. Never saw him crying on the floor. Uh, <laughs> as I was saying, hey, Randy, say, say hello to Kevin. Kevin, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. Hey, so appreciate you uh, listening to us, and thank you so much for tuning in. We, we love having you with us. Glad to be here. All right, Randy, you ready? Ready. On this day, 23 years ago, your St. Louis Rams won the Super Bowl. They did. Yeah. Who is the only Titan to score a touchdown in that game? The only Titan to score a touchdown in that game, I believe, was Eddie George on a short touchdown run in the fourth quarter to uh, tie the game at 16-16. And then back comes Kurt Warner, 9-9-9 balloon. (laughs) I can see it it right now. That was so cool. That was, we, uh, you guys know how much I adore Isaac Bruce. Isaac, and I've told you, Kerry, Isaac Bruce takes about five minutes to tell that story yeah. of that that fifteen second play. It's awesome. It's awesome. So, um, yeah, I can. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was texting. Uh, I texted Demarco, seeing if we could get him on today. We'll get. We'll have Mike Martz on though later on the show. I should have called Demarco while that. I was in L.A. I didn't even think yeah. about it. Yeah, should have had him come to the Rose Bowl. Still kneeling down time on Coach, but it looks like we're going to have him on later in the show. Okay, good. Um, Randy, who holds the record for the most touchdowns thrown in a single Super Bowl? I believe that is still, if I'm not mistaken, Steve Young with six in the 49-14 win over the Chargers in uh, the 1994 Super Bowl. I think that 1995 was the year. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with uh, with Steve Young with six. At the very worst, that's tied for first. Only two players in MLB history have tallied four different 30-30 campaigns. Barry Bonds is the first to do it. Who is the only player to do it since? Bobby Bonds. Oh, what did I say? Bobby Bonds. Excuse Bobby me. Bonds. Bobby Bonds. Did I say Barry Bonds third. the first time? You did. Yeah, sorry. Bobby Bonds My is the first to do it. Who's the only to do it since? Okay. Four different 30-30s. Okay, you'd think that it would be Barry, but I'm going to say A-Rod. I'm going to go with Alex Rodriguez. All right. Scott Rowland is one of two third basemen to debut in the last 30 years and reach the Hall of Fame. Who is the other? Okay, so this is 92. Oh, no. 02. No. 92. 02, 12, 22. So debuted after? To debut in, yeah, to debut in the last 30 years and reach the Hall of Fame. Who's the other one? Didn't Scott Rowland start in 1997? Yeah. Okay, so. Oh. Okay, one of two in the the last 30 years. Um, and they started, debuted as third baseman. Well, no, because A-Rod isn't even in the hall. Don't worry about that. Okay, so we've got uh, we've got the Cardinals, we've got the Cubs, we've got the Reds, we've got the Brewers, we've got the Pirates, we've got Adrian, no, Beltres. He'll change that next year, won't he? Uh, Dodgers, Padres, Giants. Um, 
D-backs Rockies, no. Uh, Chipper, they call him Chipper. Chipper. Um, I'm going to go with Chipper Jones of the Atlanta Braves, please, for the win. That's your final answer? That's my 1994 was his debut. He won the Rookie of the Year. He played for the Atlanta Braves, and he is in the Hall of Fame. So I am going to go with Chipper Jones. Randy, you got a pretty good win streak going right now. You have not lost in the year 2023. That is a win streak of right now 19 straight fights, which is closing in on your win streak. I believe you had one of 20-something uh, back in August that I'm going to have to go back and double check. It was in the 20s. So did Randy Carricker keep rolling on that win streak or on a icy day when he couldn't see with the answers also a little blurred out in his mind. And can Kevin take him down? Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight is driven by Mobile On The Run. Join the On The Run STL Wash Club for a limited time offer of $5 a month. Download the app today. I you just know, wanted to make people feel a little bit hot. There on this you go. Cold day. Yeah, and I bet Kevin's steaming after that one. Randy takes you down just three to two, Kevin. It was a close one. He just got you with Chipper at the very end. That was an impressive fight, my friend. Nicely done. Yeah, that's three times in a row Randy's got me. He got me twice oh, before on the four in the four o'clock program he used to do. I apologize. Mm. I'm yeah, sorry, Kevin. Really. Oh, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go through those answers. Let's see what Kevin missed. On this day, 23 years ago, your St. Louis Rams won the Super Bowl. The only Titan to score a touchdown in that game was, in fact, the running back, Eddie George. Steve Young holds the record still for the most TDs in the single Super Bowl. It's still a solo record with six. Uh, that is also the, uh, I believe that's the largest... Um, Spread ever covered in a Super Bowl, by the way. Uh, only two players in Major League Baseball history have tallied four different 30-30 campaigns. Bobby Bonds was the first to do it. Alfonso Soriano is the only other player to do it. He did it 2 and 3 and then he waited another year before he did it again in 5 and then 6 And Scott Rowland is one of two third basemen to debut in the last 30 years and reach the Hall of Fame. The other one is, in fact, Chipper Jones, who did debut in the early 90s. So a 3-2 win for Randy. Again, Kevin, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for joining the fight today. Nice work, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Good job, Kevin. <laughs> easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. It's never easy. I mean, it's <laughs> never easy. I made that one a little bit more difficult. He didn't get a baseball question right. I feel like I'm patting myself on the back there. Was, was A Rod among the three? By the way, um, yeah, because was Barry was Barry A Rod and sorry, I don't oh, know. Oh, sorry, sorry. The uh, the thirty thirty. It was. Um, uh, the, the the options I gave people were actually Ryan Braun, Carlos Beltran, and Soriano. Because oh. Braun, Braun did it twice, so I went with the recency there. Beltran, we always think of a guy mm-hmm. who had both traits. And then, obviously, Soriano, yeah. the one who did it. The hardest part I, was finding a legitimate third baseman to throw in the, my question four. Because Chipper, and then you have Adrian Beltre. Everyone knows Alex, Rodri- hall, yeah. Everyone knows Alex Rodriguez is in the hall yet. Right. And so like, I couldn't think of a third one. It took me a minute. Oh, were those the three then? Yeah, it was. Chipper, good. Okay, good. Uh, that was a fun fight. Hope you enjoyed uh, tuning into it. I know a lot of you don't, but... <laughs> Some I, of some of them. I like the hell out of it. I, well, I clearly, <laughs> you know, according to the texter, this is all about Randy. <laughs> That's what they say. I, I don't agree with them. Randy really the, 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 the amazing. So here's my thing. See right out of the gate, somebody. If you are if you are a person that is frustrated about the fight, you should try. You should get in. Like, like we should take names of these 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 texters that text in and complain about the fight and take a challenge and see if you can beat them. And if you can't, then 
you should shut your mouth. <laughs> Just saying. Kerry <laughs> Davis said that, not Randy. <laughs> Coming up next on 101 ESPN, these billion-dollar leagues. Why are we still using chains in the NFL? That's <laughs> next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Turns out it looks like the Eagles got away with one. What's bringing Mike Pereira? Mike, looking at all these different angles, what do you think? Well, he's clearly going to the ground, Kevin. Ball hits the ground. He's got to maintain control, but you see him lose control there. Had that been challenged, it would have been overturned to an incomplete pass. That's why he said to hurry up, and Philadelphia got to the line right away. That's it. James on the drive, gets in the paint, layup, missed it. And the game is over. Lakers furious. They thought he was fouled. Excuse me. And it's now overtime. LeBron James so upset. Regulation is over. We go to the five-minute OT. Yeah, not a great weekend for officiating in pro sports. And even though we hold a high level of disdain for the way LeBron James reacted to the bad call, the fact of the matter was, C.D., the Lakers have had have been victimized, and the NBA has admitted it, that they have been victimized by numerous bad calls so far this season. Bad calls happen every day. Mm-hmm. And, and there are... There is a correct way to respond to a bad call, and there is an incorrect way to respond. The The Cincinnati Bengals got a bad call, and, and not necessarily a bad call, but an unfortunate situation where they had to replay a third down. They gave up the first down because of a, a, a defensive pass interference or, or holding um, by Eli Apple, and then they responded by still getting off of the field and getting their ball back, getting the possession. That's how you respond. There are... Randy, I don't know if you know this. I, I coach high school football, mm-hmm. right? And in high school and in little leagues across the country, there is a shortage of referees. Do you know why? Why? Because there are irate parents and coaches that belittle and talk down and threaten referees to the point where they don't even want to do it anymore. And so you run into a situation where you can't play so many Friday night games because you don't have enough referees to cover mm-hmm. all the games. You got to play on Saturdays. There are people, they, they, they make mistakes, Randy, and you know what you do? You respond, you get up, and you go win the game. And it's unfortunate, and as I said, there is never one single play that costs you to win or lose a game, even if it's in the fourth quarter, even if it's the last play of the game where you get fouled on the layup and they don't make the, they don't make the call. You might have lost that game in that moment. Maybe that was to go up by one point to win the game. But there were other moments throughout the game Mm -hmm. that you messed up or didn't perform well. You don't respond in the way that LeBron James No. But here's my point. With professional sports and with as valuable as they are and with as many stakes as are at play, whether it's gambling or whether it's a team having a chance to win a championship or a player's legacy or their ability to to earn more, should we not expect a higher quality of officiating across the board? NHL, NBA, MLB, uh, NFL. To me, like yesterday they had another chain problem. Why is this even a thing in 2023? Why do we? Why are we trying to figure out ten yards with chains rather than lasers? I, I am bewildered as to why 
in an NFL game, when you have replay, you still can't get the call right. Correct. I, I, I agree with that. But at the, if you don't go to robots or lasers or anything of that nature, you're going to have the human element of sports. There are going to be things that happen in sports that say, yeah, that was a bad call. That was a mistake. The only... The, the the only call that I can in in my mind that I can think of that really potentially ruined something special for someone was the uh, Armando Galarraga when uh, when he was through the perfect game. Cardinal fan, hold my beer, Don Dankinger. <laughs> well, it, but it was a per- for him yeah. the perfect game. Yeah, right. It, it for was individually per- individually absolutely. for a perfect game for him and to have it was clear as day that the man was out and it should have been ball game. Those things happen. And it, 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 if there is an opportunity for you to win the game or win a championship, you still have the opportunity to do so. When, when, right, when, right. when that happened with the Cardinals, they still had an opportunity to win a championship, correct? They did. So there's, a, there's an opportunity. Yeah. There was a bad call. Next play. Because if you focus on that play, so hey, look at look at uh, Moises Alou and 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 uh, yep. uh, Bartman. You you blamed him for that. You still had another another play. And like you said, Kerry, even though the Bengals responded yesterday after yes. that extra, extra fourth down, it looked on the sidelines to me like that lingered with Zach Taylor. It probably did. And guess what that does? Your team feels that. When you can't, same thing with, with when you watch the 49ers and you watch Kyle Shanahan, he was irate many times. And what did you see? You saw his team spiraling. They started making bad penalties. They started making poor decisions because you're focused solely on the calls as opposed to, man, that next play. That Randy, you know what football has taught me? That life ain't fair Yep. and you're going to get some bad calls and there's going to be some things that are going to happen and you better get your butt up and go finish and go finish the next play. Go be better for the next play than you were for the last play. And at the end of the day, Kerry, it's really all about us. And just to have you rant about LeBron James makes the bad officiating in the NBA worth it. Randy, <laughs> if let me tell you something. I, I, can I go back to that? Because sure, if I was his team, get your butt up, man. <laughs> what are y'all patting him for? Like he's Joseph Asai and he just made the game-winning boneheaded play for the opposing team. Get up! Get up! You on your knees begging. Oh my God! No! Why did you do the get your ass to the sideline and let's draw up these plays so we can win in overtime? What are you doing? What was that? Someone tell me. I, I, I would. I would have been the teammate looking at him like, bro. If you don't get up and get over here, man, what are you doing? Nobody cares, man. You missed it. It. You get. You get five seconds. Complain. Gripe, moan, do whatever you need. Five seconds. This whole thing. He was crawling on his knees, begging for mercy. Hey, hey, NBA greats always put on a show when they go to uh, the garden. You know what I mean? Yeah, some of them put up 63 in a playoff game. Other ones crawl on their knees. I don't know. (laughs) Some of them. (laughs) Terry Davis, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, today's big thing. Blues are eight points away from a playoff spot, but nine points away from having a real shot at Connor Bedard. Would you rather play it out or pack it in? We need your texts. We'd like your mic drops next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the opening drive. It's time for today's big thing. In over the blue line for Regina. Backhands it over to Bedard. He'll backhand it to the line for Berg. Now Bateman. Left point. A shot deflected. Scores! Hat trick point of Bedard! It's another hat trick for Connor Bedard, and the Pats lead 4 to 1. The Regina Pats, R E G I N A, the Regina Pats. Connor Bedard is considered the best hockey prospect since another Connor, Connor McDavid. And right now at the moment, Kerry Davis, your St. Louis Blues are eight points out of a playoff spot. They have 49 points and Colorado has 57. So the Blues would need to make up eight points on Colorado or nine points. uh, I'm sorry, 11 points on Minnesota. The other part of this that is notable is that the Blues are, well, the Blues are nine points out of a playoff spot. Uh, they are nine points away from being in the area where have a 10% chance at Connor Bedard. Now, the Blues don't appear to be going anywhere. If we, between now and March 3rd, see the Blues disassemble and see their best players, that would be Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, Ivan Barbashev, Nico Mikola. They're, they're UFAs, not necessarily all their best players. But if you see those four walk out the door, the team's chances of getting Connor Bedard are going to increase exponentially. So the question that I have for Blues fans is, are you willing to have this team have a really down year so that you can get a top draft pick and maybe even the opportunity to draft Connor Bedard. So you said a 10% chance. Is that does that does that percentage go up? If they uh, suck more, yeah. Yeah, if you uh, how tank, much tank how much hard, do well, you have to so stink it up? They're so, catching Columbus or Chicago. Yeah, well, not, they, they so, lost to Chicago. They so, might be trying. I don't know. Yeah, the be. the chance <laughs> if they can't catch Columbus or Chicago, which again would be hard. They're 16 points ahead yeah. of Columbus right now. So if they again if they're, they're nine points away from having a 9.5 percent chance, they could still move up two more spots. Their best chance would be, I believe, a 12 and a half percent chance at the number one pick yeah. to pop up. If, it, for me, as a player. <clears throat> I never want to lose. I, I want to win every single game. I, I told you, if we're on a losing streak, I'm I'm one of the I'm I'm difficult to be around. I'm not a pleasant person when I'm losing on a consistent basis. And if you are a player on that roster now, losing becomes contagious. It 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 can transfer into seasons after. It could it could you could create bad habits. If you're a player on the roster right now, your main goal and objective is to play the best hockey you can play so that you can be on the team next year, so you can re-sign with the team next year or with another team. If you're stinking it up, your opportunities to continue to play are going to going to lessen, which can lessen your career, shorten mm-hmm. your career. So I'm never of the mindset that we're going to sit out here and, and do our best to not win games. And, I mean, look at the Philadelphia uh, um, 76ers. They had the whole trust the process. Mm-hmm. And they went draft pick first round, first guy, over year after year after year. They got one guy left from that trust the process right. team, from that trust the process mindset, and, and that's Joel Embiid. They still haven't won a championship. There is no guarantee that when you stink – you're going to draft the right guy, or that even when you do draft the right guy, that you're going to win games because of it. But here's my point. Those guys aren't going to be here anyway. You're going to lose O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Barbashev, Mikola. But the guys that are here. Here's the thing. The guys okay. that are here, 
have them play as hard as they can. Are they going to be good enough to succeed? We don't know. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you have such a good coaching staff and such a good system, and your goalie gets hot, and all of a sudden you win games that you aren't expected to win. That's fine. But I don't want to see the Blues in a situation where really valuable assets walk out the door for nothing. If I can get a number one pick for O'Reilly and or Tarasenko, and I can have them or I can have them leave in free agency. I want to get the number one pick. I mean, we all want to get either way. We all want to get the, yeah, but but there's a way to miss and stink and not play well. You can you can uh, the 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 um what team am I thinking about? The Detroit Lions. They they didn't make the playoffs. They were but they were a team that you know next year they're going to be a team to watch out for. Now conversely. The Houston Texans didn't make the playoffs either. You don't have anything in you to say, oh, that's going to be a good team, even if they draft Bryce Young first overall. But here's, or, here's the thing, Kerry. Or second overall. When the Blues are able to draft Robert Thomas late first round, they're mm-hmm. able to draft Jordan Cairo in the second round, they're able to draft Jordan Bennington in the third, they're able to get Colton Preco, bad as it is right now. He's been great. We know that he has it in him to be great physically. At least he did. If the Blues are able to draft those guys late, I have full confidence that if they have early draft picks, that they'll make the most of them. I, I don't think that this scouting staff is comparable to the Houston Texans or the old school Detroit Lions scouting staff. So I think I have, and I know you have to put a lot of confidence into mm-hmm. people when you're in that situation. But I do have confidence that the Blues are good enough at drafting players. But this is also why this matters in the NHL because look how many, you know, they've been drafting consistently in the 20s and they've gotten some good players but it takes a long time for those guys to develop and you never know. Like We, we, we don't know what Zach Balduke's going to be even in the next two years. Jimmy Snuggerud's doing great but if you look at the scouting reports I don't, know if he, I don't know if he's going to be an NHL player for another two or three years. Jake Neighbors just got here. so And there's not a lot of people in the pipeline. So it's, it's the factor that after years and years of drafting in the 20s being able to jump up one year and grab a young forward who can contribute one or just or one year or two years after the draft, it completely changes the pipeline you have. And right now, the Blues kind of need a little bit of rejuvenation. There. And Kerry, one quick note: this is supposed to be a really good draft in twenty three. One question: how, how how old is Connor Bedard? Seventeen. And he's and that's well, two questions: how old is he, and is he ready to play as soon as the season starts in twenty twenty three? Yes. Okay, so you you have that potential for a guy that is but but the issue that you have is it's only a 10% chance that even if you stink it up to the best of your ability you only got a 10% chance right. to get him but and that's why I noted this is a good draft yeah. because maybe you get a guy in the top 4 I don't know who the second guy is mm-hmm. uh, San, but, uh, Santilli is his last name okay. he's, he's a I mean no. he's considered a very <laughs> solid he's number 2 and then and is he then, forward uh, yes, I believe so. so. Maybe you take him anyway because you got the hill here. Hey, maybe you need a defenseman or two. Yeah, or that, could, that, that, that would help. be nice. But hey, a guy that can yeah. that that doesn't mind roughing it up a little By bit. By the way, Kerry Bedard right now he's on a he's on a point streak of thirty three games. He has eighty four points in those thirty three. Oh, games. I will, he's up well, to eighty five. Eighty five in the Western my, Hockey my League. Let's get and uh, <laughs> not only that, he's <laughs> got eighty five points. The number two guy in the league 
has 66. The number three guy in the league has 65. The number four guy in the league has 63. The number five guy in the league has 62. So Connor Bedard is to the Western Hockey League what Wayne Gretzky was to the NHL in the 80s. So let me ask you this. if if Who who is the last play, player in the major leagues to come up right away? Mike Trout or, or uh, Bryce Harper? Essentially, it was uh, Trout, yeah. Just straight yeah, well, drafted. He, he came up the year after he was drafted. Okay, so the last guy to not play in the minors, I think, it was Mike Leake, the former Cardinal pitcher, came okay. up with the Reds. That wasn't. We, no, we saw not that. great. But so uh, my question is: If you were a Cardinals fan and you have Mike Trout in 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 the draft, are you going to tank and stink it up to get Mike Trout? Are you are you willing to sacrifice 162 games season and say, okay, we 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 win 50 of them, 60 of them? But we are guaranteed, Mike Trout, I, I would be willing to sacrifice that. Here's the thing. Randall Gritchick was taken by the Angels, the pick ahead of Mike Trout. Mike Trout was drafted, what, 17 or 18 or 19? Um, it was. Uh, so he was drafted 25th. 25th. And Randall Gritchick was drafted 24th. You just don't know, right? Right. And, but that goes but to it, my, my point of with Connor Bedard. You believe, we all think, mm-hmm. and he's potentially gonna he's going to be great, but maybe, maybe he's Randall Gritchick. But either way, you're getting... Blues haven't had a, a top 10 pick since uh, 2009. Mm. So they need to replenish the system, as it were. So this might be the year to do it when you aren't going to win anyway. Maybe. I, I just want to – I would want to play my best hockey for me personally. If I'm out there, I'm going to give you everything I got. Mm. I'm not going to stink it up because – That's what I want to hear. Yeah, because everyone else is. I'm going to play my best team game and make sure that I put – if we don't win – it won't be because we're not trying hard. I want to see Jordan Cairo turn into a star. I want to continue to see Robert Thomas ascend. I want to see Scott Perunovic play every night. Mm-hmm. I want to see a lot of different things. That's Kerry. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a little baseball. Michael Walker apparently wants a two-year deal. Are the Cardinals and Waka a match? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, the Opening Drive, 101 ESPN. And as the Cardinals get ready to open spring training in a couple of weeks, they still don't have a number one reliable starter. When Jack Flaherty is healthy, he has shown himself to be a number one. Well, Kerry, Michael Waka apparently wants a two-year deal. Hmm. He's made 23 starts in each of the last couple of seasons. Two years ago with uh, Tampa Bay, he made 23 starts, had 29 games. He was 3-5 and five with a 5.05 earned run average. In the 2022 season, he was 11-2 and two with a 3.32 in his 23 starts for the Red Sox. Overall in his career, we know him well. He spent the majority of his career with the Cardinals, had a 3.91 ERA over the course of seven years, and pretty much after his fifth year, didn't do an awful lot. He just didn't pitch a lot because he was hurt. He had that stress reaction in his shoulder. Do you believe, because I don't, that Michael Waka would be a benefit as a free agent with a two-year deal with the Cardinals? It, uh, Randy, I <laughs> that is a very good question. And I, I, I say that because right now, our I asked you earlier, we went over the Cardinals lineup mm-hmm. and how they're number two uh 
considered number two lineup in, in all of baseball. And I asked you, where would the pitching rotation, where would the staff be, the, the, the starters and the bullpen, where would they be ranked? You said probably in the lower half of the of Major League mm-hmm. Baseball. And so getting a guy in here that can that that can eat up innings and, and you know, give you a give you quality starts, uh, a guy that maybe is going to be healthy for the entire season. Hopefully, I think that's the issue that the Cardinals are, are running into or have run into is injuries, knowing which guys are going to be there, you know, every fifth day, which guy is going to start and which guy is going to give you quality starts to be able to get you to not not tire out that bullpen in the way that it did later in the season. And if you were to add a guy like Walker, where would he fit in this rotation? Would he be a clear-cut starter right away? Because I don't think Michael Walker is signing to be a, a middle reliever. Does, do you start him ahead of a healthy Flaherty? No. He doesn't start ahead of Adam Wainwright. No. Does he start ahead of a healthy Stephen Matz? Four-year, $44 million contract, 3-33 and 33 remaining. Matt's, Matt's was in the bullpen last year? Well, he was at, hurt, and then they brought him back in the bullpen, but he, so he's, they, they he's signed him that, as a starter. But he's had that role. So yeah. I think it's easier to put him back into that role than it would be to sign to tell Michael Walker you're going to sign him to a two-year deal yeah. and put him into that role. I like the left-hander, and actually Matt's, I believe, current upside is greater than that of Waka. Okay. I, I That's just my personal opinion. Jordan Montgomery. We saw what Jordan Montgomery no. could do in August, part of September, right? And then Michaelis. He's not starting ahead of Michaelis. No. So I don't know that you sign Michael Waka and say, okay, he's walking in and he's in our rotation. And then after him, you have Hudson. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are down on Dakota Hudson, but I think he's going to be better with the pitch timer. And the Cardinals, That that's more important than my thing. Right. The Cardinals think... now. Would you rather have Michael Walker as your sixth starter ahead of Dakota Hudson? Absolutely, right? I think so. I, but that—that's the—that's the question: is health of this starting rotation? Mm-hmm. Are the guys going to be there? You know, the entire season? Are they going to miss a significant amount of time? Because if they—if—if if you are unsure of that, then you do have to go out there and get another starter. Yeah. We saw what Dakota Hudson did last year. At times, he was a bit, a bit erratic and and seemed to press. And take longer, take so much time when things weren't going well. You think that the pitch timer, timer is, is going yeah. to help him. Yeah, he, because he doesn't have to think. He doesn't have to think. And sometimes when you take the thinking out, players actually can play better. So I'm looking at this. I'm trying to look at this from the Cardinals' prism. Because Waka will probably be $24 million over two. He's a $12 million a year guy. That's what okay. the going rate for a back-of-the-rotation pitcher is. I didn't mean to cut you off, no, fine. but but if you were going to sign Michael Walker, why didn't you re-sign Quintana? Bingo. That's a great. <laughs> yep. Like yep. If you were going to, if you're looking in the Michael yep. Walker uh, department, you had a guy here that was essentially that, but showed it and proved it last year for yeah. that amount of money. Right. It, it, and that, showed that, it to you. Showed it to you in the playoffs. Like yeah. I, I don't understand. I wouldn't understand that mindset if you were to go after a Michael Walker as opposed to re-signing a, a, a Quintana. And here's my thing with Walker. And Matthew, we'll get to you in a second. But is Michael Walker worth $11 million more? Because you're signing him based off what he did last year in 23 starts for Boston. Is he worth $11 million more than Hudson? Is he worth $11.5 million more than Libertor? Is he worth $11.5 million more than Palante? Is he worth $11.5 million more? And we don't know anything about Connor Thomas, but he was the Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Year, and the Cardinals added him to the roster. Is he worth $11.5 million more than Jake Woodford? I don't think because of his durability history 
that Waka is worth that much more than the guys that they already have. And, and you're you comparing him to Quintana and, and the money being a big question. That's why I think where he signs will still be an interesting factor for the Cardinals because, much like Quintana, I think he becomes a trade deadline option depending on where he goes and how he pitches. I think he could be a perfect person when you're just looking at it and you're saying, okay, for a year and a half, going into next year, maybe maybe Flaherty hasn't worked out, so you're thinking, well, we're not going to have him for 2024. Maybe Matt hasn't worked out, so you're not going to have him for 2024. Or you're not going to want to lean on him for 2024. He has a little bit more swing and miss stuff, which they've talked about. They want more in the lineup. If he goes to a team that isn't going to be a winning team, I think that's something you're gonna kind of you know log away until you know mid mid July because it could become something that pops up again should a Hudson, a Mats, or an injury pop up with somebody else. And by the time you get to that point in the season, I can guarantee you this: it's not going to be a veteran pitcher. It's going to be Gordon Graceffo. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Going to youth. Yeah, yeah, and going youth and stuff. I mean, yeah. he's right now Gordon Graceffo's stuff is better than Michael Walker's, and Michael. Is a wonderful individual, and he's been a great pitcher. I just don't trust his durability. <laughs> he did CD last year lead the American League in complete sh- game shutouts. Mm. He had one. Oh, had one. <laughs> yeah. Well, how my how my how the times have changed. In 1985, when you and I were watching the Cardinals <laughs> and our 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 favorite team, probably the 1985 yeah. Cardinals, right? John Tudor had 10 yeah. complete game shutouts. Mm. Just had one, huh? Yeah. Things have changed. They have changed uh, some, a lot. Some, some things have changed for the better, Randy, and some things, yeah, you know, not so much. I think with, with the sports side of it, I like guys that, you know, complete games, pitch more than five innings, give you six, seven innings, and, and you know, I like the, the, well, the you the don't big, like many pitchers, do you? No, 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 not really. I don't. I, I like guys that. Well, I, I like pitchers. I don't know if I like many managers. It's like saying you like okay. superstars in the NBA who play every game. Oh well, we know that. that <laughs> the, the list ever is happen. down, Gary. The list is down. Okay. We, don't give me on this rant. We, we sick of it is coming up in a couple of days. I, I I will give you all of that. I am going to provide you with uh, an old timey, old codger statistic. Okay. okay. Last year. In Major League Baseball, last year in all of Major League Baseball, 30 teams in Major League Baseball, there were 16 complete games. In all of baseball? Yes. In 1968, my man, (laughs) Bob Gibson had 13. Uh, (laughs) He was pretty good, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, I don't know. we, We do so much... I don't know if coddling is the right word, Randy, yeah, but I think it's coddling. Babying. Yeah, yeah we, we, we micromanage, oh, their arms. we got to make sure that we don't do this. Mm-hmm. Hey, here, I, I think of myself as, you called me a renaissance man at one point, and I, I think of myself as an old soul. Mm-hmm. And, and when I would get hurt playing football, I would ask myself, well, what would Jim Brown do? That would be my. That would be. That was my I mindset. That. I love Jim that. Brown didn't have a bunch of stem and and ice. He had ice, but he didn't have you know ultrasound machines to. He didn't have all access to all of these things. So my mindset: What would Jim Brown do? Jim Brown would play. Yeah, you rub some dirt on it and yep. go and play. Walk. If you can walk, you can run. If you can run, you can play. And that is how I went about my day. And if Jim Brown could do it, damn it, I could do it too. I have such admiration for that. <laughs> Along those lines, Stephen Jackson would watch a lot of Walter Payton film yeah. and tape, right? And you've had a quad. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had a quad, and it 
it shut me down, obviously. So it's going to, well, no, because you guys are better athletes. So it shuts you guys down. <laughs> but then it shut me down, too. It shut me down for like two months or whatever. <laughs> SJ39 pulled a quad, kept him out for a week, and it was all black and blue. I saw him in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Just terrible. And then doesn't practice for a week. And you were probably doing the post game at this time. But pregame, he walks on the field. He's working out. I go thumbs up. He gives me a thumbs up, and he ran for like 120 that day. It's a mindset. Yeah. Sometimes that's all it takes. And yeah. and I think pitchers, I understand you're going to get paid hundreds of millions of dollars either way. You're going to get $43 million even if you don't pitch a complete game. So mm-hmm. why, why would you complete pitch a complete game? There is a pitcher for <laughs> Toronto. Okay, we're getting into the weeds here. But just I love it. Do, do a Google search for Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays. And there's a great story about him, how he got pissed at the Blue Jays for not allowing him to pitch because he's go. old school. Anyways, like 260 pounds, he's a horse, yep. but he's terrific. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up, is Andy Reid the best coach in this? Oh, no, we got the, the, the best offensive coach in the recent history of the NFL. Mike Martz coming our way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Martz pounding at the 27-yard line. Warner to throw. Going deep downfield, adjusting for it is Isaac Bruce. And Isaac Bruce threads his way for a touchdown. 73 yards. 23 years ago today, the St. Louis Rams won Super Bowl 34 in Atlanta against the Tennessee Titans. Kerry Davis is here, a Super Bowl champ from a few years later, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and the Rams offensive coordinator that day and uh, ultimately their head coach, Mike Martz, joins us. Coach, great to have you with us. How you doing? Good. Good morning, guys. You like that highlight? <laughs> never, you never get told, does it? <laughs> no. Tell us about 999 Balloon. No, nine, it was Ace Protection, Twins Right, Ace, 999H Balloon. So H Balloon means the back is, has an option right out of, the, out of the backfield. But what that is is it's four verticals out of a three-by-one set. And what they had done in the game is against that set on third down, they would bracket um, everybody except the furthest receiver, which was Isaac, to the field. And they had their fourth corner out there. And it was a, it was a, they'd use that coverage maybe four or five times in the game. And, uh, we just felt like we, they would come up with it again. And, uh, you know, we talked to Kurt about if we get that coverage, just mail it out there to Isaac. Because on that play, we've never thrown it to, to Z on that play ever. Mm-hmm. It usually goes back to X and the tight end on the backside. So, um, it was just one of those things, you know, it was a play that we never practiced. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's amazing. Well, we pra- we practiced it, but it was against a different coverage. But we hadn't practiced that play in shoot, probably two or three months, you know. Mm, fantastic. Hey, Coach, we were watching the game yesterday, and we saw Brock Purdy go out. Uh, you saw Josh Johnson come in and get hurt. What are your When you see your, your starting quarterback go down, your backup quarterback go down, uh, and then your starter got to come back in and really can't throw the ball, how, how, does that, how do you process that as a coach and, and as a play caller? Well, it's difficult. There's just no hope. I mean, you can't you can't function. You gotta you, you have to try and manufacture first downs, and somehow uh, defense got to give him three and out, and it's an impossible situation. I was surprised, to be honest with you, I was surprised that they went into that game with just two quarterbacks on the roster. 
you know, every NFC, every one of those games I've been in, you always carry three and just for disaster situations, you don't want to lose it on something like that. But uh, I guess that's common today to just carry two, two guys in the roster that are available. And Mike, you put up at the33rdteam.com, and we advise people to go check it out. But you talked about how Purdy, and obviously an inexperienced NFL quarterback, but he could have avoided the injury. How could he have avoided it? Yeah, really the injury is his fault. Uh, what happened is the rusher that got to him, he actually was lined up to a wing side, so a tight end and another tight end. So he was really two people removed from where he normally is, you know. So that's a long way from the quarterback. And the, and the wing back there, the backup tight end, he didn't do a real good job on him, but he pushes him outside. So what happens with the quarterback, and we always tell quarterbacks this, on a, on a deep drop, a seven-step drop, which is really basically what he was doing, if you hit at 10 yards and you stay there, you're going to get sacked. So when you hit at 10 yards, that ball's got to come out. If you If it doesn't, if you have to wait, then you have to hitch up or slide up a, a good yard and a half up into the pocket so they can push him by. Otherwise, um, what happens with pass rushers, when you set back there, that's their aiming point. And then you take that away by stepping up inside of it. And he got stuck back there, and it's young guys do that. And you got to remind them all the time, listen, if number one's gone and you're trying to get down to the next available, you got to get up into the pocket to buy time. You can't sit back there because you're a sitting duck. And no, I don't care who you are as an offensive tackle, you're not going to protect a guy standing back there 10 and 10 and a half yards. You can't do it. Just time and distance. The, the angles are bad. Coach, I'm so glad that you said that that was the quarterback's fault, that that he got injured and that it was a fumble. Uh, I think oftentimes, anytime the quarterback gets hit, we look at the offensive line, or in this case, the tight end, as not making their, not doing their job. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on having you know tight ends block prominent defensive pass rushers? I, I, I always have hated it because you got offensive linemen that are, that's their job, but for a tight end to do it, he's not really asked to do it that often, and it usually ends up in disaster. We always did it. We did it a lot because, uh, but in our protections, he would block him. The, the tackle ensure the guard, the three technique inside. Then he'd come back and help, mm-hmm. or back or back would help on his way out. But we always had a tight end on the roster that was an exceptional pass blocker for us. It was Brandon Malamaliuna. You know, Brandon was about three hundred ten pounds, so he was as big as his alignment, and he's very athletic. He's a very accomplished blocker. But he was a terrific receiver. He didn't run very good, but he could catch the heck out of the ball. So, I mean, we had a guys identified for that. And we've used out smaller guys in the past, too, but not on the line of scrimmage. They have to be off like that wing back was. But, see, what happens is he's so far removed, and the wing was off the ball, he got enough on him to push him by. But, man, I tell you, uh, we use it because you, now you can have six guys in the protection to block four, so you get doubles all the way across. You know what I mean? So if you got an end out there, you start with a tight end, the tackle steps down to ensure the three technique, then the tackle will come back and end up double teaming that end. So uh, we used to do it, but we generally, unless he was a great pass blocker, we wouldn't leave him out there by himself. Well, Coach, I, I may be a little bit uh, scorned because Bruce Arians had me try to block Mario Williams, uh, and it didn't go very well for me. <laughs> Once he extended his arms, Coach, I couldn't reach him. He, he shot him and, and threw me to the side and made the sack. So maybe I'm just reliving a little bit of, of trauma. 
You know what happens? It's like it's like, it's like the Big Brother syndrome where you put he puts his hand on your head and you're swinging. Yeah, it's exactly what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> and well, other- I'm a former tight end. I played tight end in college too, and. And, uh, you know, they use me a lot of protections. I know the feeling. <laughs> Mike, the other huge advantage that you had, and granted, I, San Francisco has Trent Williams. So that's just, as you mentioned last week at the the, the event with uh, Martin Kilcoin, you just put an X on the other team's right end when you have a guy like Orlando, right? Yeah, we used to call it a God man. So hmm. whoever, whoever lined up on, I don't care who it was, if they had a great defensive end on the right side, defensive right side, then generally they'd flop them over the other side because it was a waste of time trying to rush on Orlando. He was, he was a got man, you know. So, he, he, you know, you look from the sideline and Orlando's yawning out there, you know. I mean, just, you know, just he's the best there was. So, Hey, Mike, what, did, what do you think of Jalen Hurts? Jalen Hurts, terrific. You know, um, you know, the thing that's, been so great with them is they do such a good job of teaching. And I think the pro- progress of any young quarterback is so so important in, in how he gets grounded in the system, in the details of it. And he understands and executes the very small, intricate details of that offense. Uh, and, and whatever you end up making a difference, it's just he understands it. The ball comes out quick. He's accurate. He's calm. He has complete grasp of what's going on with the defense. I, I really think that each year he's just going to do nothing but get better and better. Hey, Coach, looking at Nick Sirianno, his second year as a head coach in the league, taking his team to the Super Bowl, what have you seen from him and really his maturation? I, we were talking about his press conference to start his his career off. Didn't go very well, but here he is, you know, second year taking his team into the Super Bowl. You know, I think that one of the things that, that I watch body language all the time in games, as a head coach, you learn to do that. You do that out of it's an accident, really. You understand you're watching people, and pretty soon you start picking up on body language. So you kind of know where your team is, where players are. And the interesting thing about him is there's just so much positive energy with his players in him. You know, they're it just and it's never waned. You know what I mean? It's just they're excited about playing. He's got a great relationship with those players. He's upbeat. You know, they're they're attacking people. It's um, and he doesn't change, you know. No matter what the situation is, the game he doesn't change. Let's uh, switch a little bit to the AFC, Mike. First of all, when we talked last week, we talked about how surprised we were that Buffalo didn't commit more to the running game against Cincinnati, and they didn't really have it. But we know the Bengals do have a running game. What happened with the Bengals' running game yesterday? Well, there's a defensive lineman over there on Kansas City. Is pretty good. Ninety-five, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just he and Kelsey. Those two guys on each side of the ball are, are just giant pluses. And, and we all know what Mahomes is. I mean, he's just a he's a great player. But and then the, you got receivers stepping up. You know what happens they, when you start off and you get sacked like they did, and then you fall behind. You feel like you got to catch up a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, I was a little surprised that they didn't rush the ball a little bit more, but they they were really effective against the run. And it's hard when you're behind to stay with the run in a game like that. You, you feel like you got to make something happen, and and you you know and you got chasing those guys. It's just you feel like you got to make something happen with the quarterback. And you know what do you want to do in a championship game? You want the quarterback hand the ball off? 
or you know, as good as he is, or you want to make him play, and that's kind of what it comes down to. And you guys have all the numbers, and you know how often you need to hand off. The thing that struck me was they, they only handed off 13 times in 63 plays. And I'm with you on Burrow, but at some point, you've got to make them think you can run it, right? Yeah, and I, and I was a little surprised because the Kansas State defense is, reminds me of Jimmy Johnson a little bit when he was you know, Philadelphia. And the one thing that we would always thought, when you have a real multiple defense like that and you have a dynamic pass rusher, you got to come downhill on them. And so much of the running game these days is trick stuff laid around the edge, you know, the fly sweeps and all that stuff. And the, to me, they've got a double team to come off the ball a little bit, you know. And uh, it, it's a lost art. Not many teams do that anymore. I know San Francisco does. I think Detroit is magnificent at it. But I just uh, – I think the circumstances of the game, they got into the game pretty deep. And he just felt like they had to make something happen. I've been there. It's you reflect back on it. You kind of wish that you hadn't. But yeah, I keep Kansas City out the field too. But you know they moved the ball well. They just you know they, they just couldn't get it done. Hey, you talked about Nick Sirianni and his his uh, you know body language on the sideline and how the players really attract to him. What are you seeing from Andy Reid, who's just been doing it for such an extended period of time, did it for so long in Philadelphia, you know, four NFC Championship games, one Super Bowl, now he's redoing it again in Kansas City. What have you seen from him throughout his career that has allowed him to sustain this success? Well, Andy's brilliant to begin with. And if you know anything about if you've met him, he's one of the nicest people you ever meet in the world. He's just a sweetheart of an individual. And I think his personality, uh, uh, the players love him, obviously, the coaches. He's, uh, he's, he's ahead of the curve, so to speak, in football they, the, with the things that they do. And they do so many different things, which is what we try to do to keep defenses trying to chase to keep up with what you're doing so you don't do the same thing twice, those kinds of things. And that's kind of what they do. They're very imaginative because it can be with the people that they have. The quarterback has such a dynamic grasp of what they're trying to do and he can do the impromptu when he has to, as good as anybody's ever played the game doing that, I think. So I, I just think that uh, he keeps pushing the envelope each week just a little bit. And that's hard to do when you've been doing it as long as he's – but he's he's just never blinked. You know, it's Andy, he's the old, wise old guy now. You know, he's just he just hasn't blinked. Hey, Mike, one more thing. I know that you're going to be putting together – because I know it's the way you think. You're going to be putting together game plans for both of these teams over the course of the next week. Can we get in touch next week and have you tell us why one team or the other is going to win this thing? Sure, be happy to. We, we love it. Hey, it was great to see you at the event the other night. Glad we were able to raise uh, a lot of money for one of your charities, the Alzheimer Association of Greater St. Louis. It was great to see you and uh, great to hear the stories. Thanks, Randy. All right, take care, Mike. We'll talk to you next week. That is uh, former Rams head coach and the guy who changed football, Mike Martz. If we, we'll, we'll get Marshall on sometime. Marshall believes that Mike Martz should be in the Hall of Fame because really what we're seeing today, part of the Starting reason there. that in an AFC championship game, they only handed off 13 times because the passing game that yeah. was started by Mike Martz. Just the, the, the ability to get guys open. Uh, it felt like with that Rams team, they were always open. Yeah. There was always windows, whether it was dig routes right behind the linebackers, you know, post corners, whatever the case may be. There was people open. And Kurt did a great job of, of finding those guys. But clearly, Coach taught 
him how to find those guys, how to step up in the pocket and not take those unnecessary hits because, as he said, sometimes it's not always on the protectors. It's on the guy throwing the ball that holds mm-hmm. it a little too long and those balls get tipped or, or you get sacked. He's a brilliant man. Yep. That was Mike Martz. That's Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Coming up, rock and roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, and it is time for Rock and Roll. No, I'm not. Someday I'll tell the story about how Mike Martz got mad at me, but I'm not going to tell it today. We don't have time. <laughs> I, have to, I do have to point this out. We, we, we got a funny uh, a text, I thought, uh, from the Mike Martz interview. We've got this before. We've talked to him. He just goes, are you really having a conversation with Mike Martz about committing to the run? I'm just saying, maybe call Mike Shanahan and talk about running. My <laughs> response... I think Mike Martz is the perfect person to ask about the mindset of not committing to the run in a championship game. If anybody's had a lot of time to think about the pros and cons, the off and ons, the should I have made that or should I have not, I believe it would be Mike Martz. The guy's been talking, thinking about it for 20 years. The thing is, I don't. I think because of the way Mike changed the thought process of the game, it used to be that you ran to set up the throw. Mm-hmm. What Mike started doing was throwing to set up the run. And if we go back to that 2001 NFC Championship game, what Marshall have? It's like 150 yards in the second half. Mm-hmm. They they got the lead and they decided, you know what? We're going to put the ball in the hands of the big boy. And they just let him go in the second half. Also, again, we played the, the highlight from the Isaac Bruce touchdown. Go back and look at what the Rams running game did in the Super Bowl they won. Marshall had 29 yards on 11 carries. Mm-hmm. They, they, they tried, and they didn't, and they abandoned it, and it worked. So, I mean, I just, I just think we, we always just talk about, well, they lost the Super Bowl because they couldn't run the ball. They also won a Super Bowl where passing the ball where they, when they had no establishment of the run worked pretty well for them. Just, and just, just throwing it out there. As Mike will tell you, they did throw for 367 in the loss to New England. They, they moved up and yes. down the field, but they didn't do very well in the red zone. And yeah. bottom line, they turned it over three times. That, that will cause you to lose games. Yep. It's a good point, and let's jump into something that happened recently. Kerry's already given his opinion on what happened with the Lakers, and I don't want to talk about LeBron James. I don't want to talk about LeBron LeBron James. James. (laughs) I want to talk about a man that I called maybe the worst player in the NBA last week. Okay, before you start there, say that again that way. LeBron James. If you go to YouTube, there's they've got LeBron James kid. Ten consecutive hours of LeBron James kid. Yeah, go ahead. so a man that I called maybe the worst player in the entire NBA last uh, last week, Carrie, was Patrick Beverly. Uh, well, then Patrick Beverly very quickly became one of my favorite players in the league with his reaction to the missed call on LeBron James. He grabbed a camera from an on from a a photographer near the court. He went to the shot of the uh, Jason Tatum hand on LeBron James, and he showed it to the referee. And this is how it went down. And as the teams went to the benches and before overtime started, Patrick Beverly comes out on the floor to Eric Lewis with a camera. I mean, just ridiculous. And Eric Lewis rightfully tees him up. You said they thought he was fouled. He was fouled. And I would you say missing that? No, it's not as. It's. I like that Van Gundy comes in there. Sometimes the old heads are fighting for the young guys. He says there's no question that he was fouled. I thought it was a little, a little, uh, a little rough with what Beverly doing. I thought that was one of the funniest 
things I've ever seen a player do. Honestly, that's the best technical I've ever seen a player take, he, I think. He should have got thrown out. That was hilarious. He should have been thrown yeah. out. That was Steph funny. Steph got thrown out for throwing his mouthpiece a few nights ago. That's hey, different. He, no. Hey, you don't bring a camera <laughs> onto the... He's going to get fined. That, that, that is for certain. You don't bring a camera up. onto the court to show the referee. It, it, basically, you're showing him up because you're showing him that you missed, you blew this, brother. There's no question about this. The whole thing here. So, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go back to it. Here's the thing. Coach Martz just spoke about Nick Sirianni and his demeanor on the sideline and how the players on his team gravitate towards that. Right. The same goes for star players. When your star player responds in the way that LeBron did, it gives everyone else on the team a chance to complain and moan and act out. If LeBron gets his butt up, gets fouled, eh, fouled, ah, no, you didn't call it. Mm, Sideline, bench, next play. (laughs) Patrick Beverly does not feel the need to get his butt up and take the camera to the referee. It is a cycle, a vicious cycle of leadership that is when it's poor, everyone on the team follows suit. If you are the head coach, if you are the star player, if you respond in a negative way, those that are watching you, looking up to you, following your lead, they are going to respond in the same way. So when you have poor leadership skills, you have poor, poor, poor leaders and poor people that are following the poor leaders. So Kerry Davis, 99.9% of the time that we would have this conversation, we would be in lockstep. Okay. No doubt about it. I think we can get it back to 100 here. It happened to the Lakers. Oh yeah, well that's that's beautiful. I mean, if, if it happened to the we Memphis Grizzlies, we wouldn't be as it's the Lakers. So about I, it. I guess you're right. I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened. I'm kind of glad that LeBron was crawling you're on the floor me right now, praying for a foul call after the regulation time had ran out, and everybody else in the on both teams is on the bench waiting for overtime to start, and he's pleading on the ground, crawling. By the way, lost in this conversation (laughs) is that they choked in overtime. That's the point, Randy. You still had a chance to win. You still, man, you did all that crying for nothing. For nothing. Man, go to the bench and get ready for the overtime period. What are we doing? Randy, I have never been so frustrated with a player's actions than I was watching that. This is a guy that if, if again, it's on YouTube and it was the ABC feed. After J.R. Smith doesn't know the score and that game is going to overtime, the entire commercial break. Have you ever seen this? LeBron <laughs> is staring down J.R. Smith for the entire TV break. Doesn't say a word, just staring him down. With, with, and, and he should have because that yep. was an egregious <laughs> mistake, J.R. You forgot how much time was on the clock and what the score was. It happens. Randy, look at this picture. 
This man is on his hands and knees. <laughs> He's praying. He's praying. Thank you for this. I greatly appreciate this picture. Texter from the 573. <laughs> this is this is the image. Carrie. This, this is Carrie. not after a championship. I tried to make this not about LeBron. I just man. want to know if you laughed at Pat Beverly or not. I laughed at all of it. It's the entertainment was, business. It's, it's, it was right. entertainment. It was, it was oh my goodness. <laughs> oh man, get up. Harlan, get to the bench Harlan, already. Harlan being all like, I can't believe he's doing this, and then Van Gundy just being like, "Well, then, I mean, why are you saying if he was fouled? He was fouled. I, I love mean, Van Gundy. He's fouled, the best." It was but clear. I can't believe he's responding like th- this. Is a generational thing. This is this is a he he he's. Oh, he, I'm with you on LeBron. I don't care what you say, Dennis Rodman. You know, Dennis Rodman would have kicked the photographer before he did this. Run our test. The 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 goofy players across this league who would do the camera bit. It'd be funny with all of them. The camera thing is hilarious. They wouldn't respond like this. No, they wouldn't respond like that. So you might be wondering why you aren't hearing the dulcet tones of (laughs) Tim McKernan right now, and that's because Tim McKernan is in Jamaica. (sighs) Jamaica with his whole crew. By the way, they just they just wrapped up their live broadcast of their other show. I mean. I can just pull up the access. So we are actually, nah, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to take over this hour for this week. And the question of the day, not the number of the, the day. The number of the, the day. The question of the day. We, we, we may be getting back I to that pretty soon. wait. <laughs> we, we are we well on be, We are on our way. <laughs> but the question of the day, is the highest scoring power five team in college basketball a threat to make the NCAA tournament? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Finds Hodge. Back to Brown. Open three. Yes! Type of games this time of year. Great job by Hodge. Leads the SEC in steals. Behind the back in the slam. Dunk by Diara. Mosley. He checked. Got it. Peace or famine when you're playing against a shooting team. Oh, and got a foul. no. Whoa. Golston with a chance at a four point play. It is raining threes here in Como, and most of them. Coming from the black and gold. Your Missouri Tigers, well, not Carrie's Missouri Tigers, but. Well, my daughter's. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're I'll contributing accept. to the cause. I am contributing. Yeah. I don't want to hear any anything about anything. There's <laughs> <laughs> contributions going. Those were the highlights from a 78 61 victory over 12th ranked Iowa State on Saturday. Mizzou now 16 and 5, 4 and 4 in the SEC, and Carrie. If they maintain a 500 record in the SEC, I believe that they are easily, it's not even close, an NCAA tournament team. But while I want to give them credit for being the top-scoring team in the country among Power 5 teams, here's the way it, it plays out. Gonzaga's the, the top-scoring team in the country at 86.3 a game. You've got Southern Utah, Toledo, Cornell, Oral Roberts, Youngstown State, Xavier, and then the top-scoring Power 5 team is Mizzou at 83.1 points per game. What Dennis Gates has done with Mizzou in this 2022-2023 season is pretty amazing. Last year, Mizzou was 12-21, 5-13 in the conference, 
and they averaged 65 points a game while allowing 70. This year, they're allowing more, 75, but they're scoring almost 20 points a game more than they scored last year in Conzo Martin's final year. They're playing 2023 basketball, and that's why they're succeeding. Yeah, they are. They are playing well. And, you know, you're looking at this at this schedule and seeing some of the big wins that they've had so far this season. Obviously, you got a big win versus Iowa State. Um, they're a number 12 team in the country. You've beaten Arkansas. You've lost to Arkansas, but then you've gone and beaten them at home. And they, they, they do have some some big wins on their schedule. I think it's going to boil down to that that obviously the meat of the SEC schedule. But when you get to the Tennessee and Auburn game, both of those games on the road at Tennessee, at Auburn, how they perform in those games. If you're able to get one of those games on the road versus top 15 team in the country, I think you you put yourself in a position to make it into the tournament. If you go in there and it doesn't look good at all, then you may be looking at uh, you know one of the bubble teams or, or having to do well in the in the SEC tournament in order to get in. But at least... If you, the th- I think you have to handle your business beforehand. You've got LSU at home. Mm-hmm. Then you go to Mississippi State. Should be a winnable right, game, even though right. that's a pretty good program. And then you've got South Carolina at home. If you can handle those, win two out of three against those, it's no disgrace to lose at number four Tennessee or at number 15 Auburn. But it, it would be how you lose. If you just get blown out of the water, I mean, I know it's on the road. I think if you if you keep the game close, you play your style of basketball, and you put it to where it's you know within five points within the last few minutes of a game. Now you're 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 the committee, and you're looking at a team that may not you know do as well in the SEC, but they are a team that can give some people trouble, specifically because of the style that they play with. And Kerry. After those two games, they only have five left. If they win one of those, it would take a catastrophic stretch run for Mm -hmm. Mizzou to not make it. I I think they have a better chance to win at Auburn than they do at Tennessee, honestly. We saw it. Auburn SLU had Auburn. And I think Mizzou is a better team than SLU is this year, and SLU is really good. But I would not be at all surprised if Dennis Gates would go into Auburn and— the the Tigers would just be able to outscore the Tigers. If you are, Is if it, you are, <laughs> the Tigers would be able to outscore yeah. the Tigers. Yeah. I yeah. see what you did there. Yeah. Which Tigers are we referring Randy, to? Randy, rarely do you say something on this show that we're 100% positive is going to be correct. <laughs> it's going to happen. So the Tigers are going to win that game. That's bet. for darn sure. And we should note that those are the only two ranked teams. Those are the only yeah. two top 25 teams left on Mizzou's schedule. Yeah, and, and like I said, if, you, if they're able to win some of those games before that, that three-game stretch, you ideally would like to win all three of them. But to go down to Tennessee and then back to to Auburn a few days later, I think that's going to be a crucial and critical point for this team in order to make it into the tournament. And if they do, where they're seated. If we're looking at a Mizzou team in the tournament, we're looking at, what, an eight, nine seed at best? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you, you have a chance to win that first weekend – um, if you if everything goes well, then you're going to be playing a, a a number one seed more than likely, right? Yeah. So you want to have a team that is, I, I I do think that this Mizzou team can can be a shocker though, because like I said, the way and the pace that they play at, it's kind of frenetic, and and most teams aren't accustomed to seeing that type of high scoring potential and that high fast pace of an offense. Uh, it gives you a chance in a tournament to upset a number one seed. They they would be a team that, you know, in the second round you could potentially see in making it to the Sweet 16 because whoever they're playing may not have seen that style of basketball this yeah. far, so, this year. So uh, M-I-Z-Z-O-U, 
Go, go Tigers. Congratulations, by the way, to all our Jayhawker friends. They had their three-game winning streak or losing streak go by the boards this weekend. Matthew's not happy about that. It would have been the first one ever in the self-air. I was watching that game intently. You wanted to, them to be, to mean, lose to Kentucky yeah. so there would be four? Also, but also, it's, it's the funny thing where this is why I hate the new net rankings because if Kentucky beats KU, it's better because Mizzou beat Kentucky, but it does make it the loss to Kansas worse because Kansas then loses to Kentucky. I hate the net rankings. Yeah. And well. KU. See, you, you're a Mizzou guy. I'm a Lindenwood guy. I love KU people. Nah, I don't like Mizzou or Chris KU. Gardner. Or <laughs> Chris, Gar- Chris Gardner gets a pass. Chris Gardner <laughs> he gets a pass. Because he, he didn't go? Is that why he gets a pass? No, he's a huge Kansas fan. I know he's a huge Kansas fan, but he didn't go. No, yeah, I just, I just, I just love the man for that. Dave Peacock, one of our all-time he gets a favorite pass too. Jayhawkers. Yeah, there's a lot of Jayhawkers who get passes. Yeah. I, I give a pass to Bill Self because he was a a an Illini prior to going to Kansas. Five level one violations. Thank you. <laughs> I give, I, but listen. <laughs> My hey, my guys, strippers. D Brown, D was my guy. D is my guy. D Brown is my guy. They loved Bill Self. Mizzou fans will tell you because they're still angry that Bill Self was in the building when they hired Quinn Snyder. Mm. When Quinn Snyder got hired, Bill Self wanted the job at Mizzou. Mm. Uh, so did Calipari, by the way. Who's another Jayhawk I love? Who's that? Brad Barnes, who just. Who just trash talked me over the phone? So Brad Barnes is uh, the former producer of the Fastlane. Dearly love, indeed, Brad Barnes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't know if I I, I got to think about my KU family. I got a friend Quincy Rowe from Hazelwood East went to went to KU. That's about that's about the extent of my. KU fandom and friendom. So, uh, Larry Baden, one of my best friends from high school. Mm-hmm. Nancy Pat, one of my best friends from high school. Went to, I don't know why they wound up there, but they, they wound up there. So. KU is a beautiful campus, actually, though. I went on a on an unofficial it's, visit. It's, uh, I had Carrie, a great time. Carrie, it's this in, was 20 years ago, it, It's in, in Lawrence, Kansas. Kansas. It is. It's in Kansas. You, you can see the gold I'll tower you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about it later. You, you, there's one hill you stand on I'll, and all the cow smells yeah. wafts up there. Well, listen. I went to Champaign, Illinois, and we had cow smells from the South Farms <laughs> yeah. that permeated every practice and every game that we had. So I do want to do the bike ride issue. across Kansas, right? Because there's no hills. Okay. <laughs> is this flatland? Is this true? I mean, it is. Yeah, it is. Yes. Flatland? Yeah. The problem, the problem is, I'm pretty sure if you, if you, there's parts of Kansas that you can just like you fall in and you wake back up in the 1930s. I think my <laughs> furthest. Wow. Yeah, I think my furthest really? trek into the state was what? going into. Uh, uh, Overland Park, I think. Well, maybe a Dunkin' Donuts in Overland Park. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Randy, Randy's like not not any further. I fly over that state. It's called a flyover for a reason. Oh man, yeah, how sorry sad. About this. Bobby yeah. Hull passed away. Brett Hull's dad passed, passed away. Eighty four years old. Nice run. Um, but he's man, was it fun to have Bobby and Brett Hull mm-hmm. in St. Louis together when Brett was playing? Yeah. And uh, Brett is one of my all time favorite athletes. One of my um, I, I saw him, and we talked for half an hour the other night at the Blues Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and we didn't talk much hockey at all. And he's just one of the most fun people ever. So our condolences to Holly and his family, uh, Darcy, his wife, and his kids, and uh, the entire Hull family, and obviously Blackhawks and Blues Nations because we lost one of our favorites in Bobby Hull. Coming up next... We know that Bill Belichick is way overrated, but is there a coach coaching now who's really underrated? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
know of my disdain for Bill Belichick, and it is borne out of the fact that he's, and well, not admitted, but he's a known cheater. You don't well, fine a team a million dollars in a draft choice. <laughs> they didn't cheat, right? So, and any by the way, he, they just accepted it. Didn't appeal. Just said, yeah, okay, fine. Take our take our money. Take our draft choice. I had a good friend tell me that his school district. Well, I don't know if it's a school district, but man, he grew up under the impression that if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So. You know, just don't get caught. So uh, this is. But here's the other thing, uh, and it's not just because he's a cheater. It's because his winning percentage without Tom Brady as a starting quarterback is 473. Well, now you have Andy Reid, who took Donovan McNabb to a Super Bowl. He's yeah. won a Super Bowl and lost a Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes. He is back in the Super Bowl. His third with the Chiefs. His fourth Super Bowl overall. And Kerry Davis, I would suggest to you. That the body of work for Andy Reid since 1999, with the amount of players that he has won with, is more impressive than the body of work that Bill Belichick has achieved, which was achieved much on the back of Tom Brady. I, I think I think Andy Reid doesn't get enough credit. For his uh, his accomplishments, you you take the Philadelphia Eagles to four straight conference championship games. You finally get in, beating the Atlanta Falcons in two thousand four. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that one. <laughs> and, and you finally get to the Super Bowl, but you don't win it. And then you have you, you you transform yourself and get to the to the Kansas City Chiefs, and you've had a run now where you've been to five straight AFC championship games, going to your third Super Bowl. Andy Reid, and I want to know, I know Bill Belichick obviously has been to numerous championship games, but I want to know where he is in terms of AFC slash NFC championship games, you know, appearances. Who 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 on that list is has more than him? Uh, that would be, uh, uh, Rock is looking that up now. I, I would think that Tom Landry is up there. There can't have be many. Bill Walsh, how many? How he, many? he only coached 10 years in the NFL. Okay, so he doesn't. So Andy Reid is at nine right now, championship games. Is that right? Four? Four? four, four with, five? And five and four. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he went to any other ones with the um, Well, let's with see. The, with the Eagles. I know no, they he went to four in a row, was, but I don't think they went to any more than Didn't they that. lose to Arizona? I think they went to the fourth straight, and then they lost to Arizona in, in 08. You guys would have played them. Yeah, I thought he had a fifth one. Oh really? Oh yeah. Ten. yeah okay. That, that, there you are. So Ten. Um, Bill Belichick has thir- has been to uh, thirteen AFC Championship game appearances. Andy Re- Andy Reid, I believe, is just I'm trying to think of somebody else. Well, and here's another point. Andy Reid tied with Landry. Yeah. He's tied with Tom Landry with ten conference championship okay. appearances. How about that? Well, that would have been a good fight question. <laughs> that would have been a great one. <laughs> Man, we just ruined that, that one. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Andy Reid. Has a career-winning percentage of 641, 130 victories and 93 losses in Philly. And by the way, he had to rebuild the Eagles mm-hmm. and did so after a couple of years. And then he has a record of 117 and 45, a 722 winning percentage with the Chiefs. Now, granted, circumstances benefit certain people because right. he has had great front offices and he has, to his credit, by the way, uh, he's had great quarterbacks because he scouted mm-hmm. Donovan McNabb. Yep. He scouted... Uh, Patrick Mahomes. So I think that he deserves a ton of credit. Belichick, on the other hand, while having full control in Cleveland, went 36 and 44 in five years. Mm -hmm. Made the playoffs 
one time, coached in two playoff games, was one and one. Granted, had his time with Brady, but as we have mentioned, only went to the playoffs without Tom Brady in his total of 28 years of head coaching. He has gone to the playoffs without Tom Brady as his quarterback two times. Yeah. I think Andy Reid has, has, I mean, when you think about those Philadelphia teams, I think you would be hard-pressed. Donovan McNabb, you have uh, Westbrook at, at, at running back, and then what? I mean, you think about the tight end situation or the huh. receiver situation. They had James Todd Thrash. Pinkston, Todd Freddie P- Mitchell. They, their nicknames, they were calling him <laughs> James Trash and yeah, Todd right. Stinkston. Right, like, right. That's yep. how bad the Philadelphia fan base was was on those two guys. Um, and then you got Fred X, Fred Freddie Mitchell. Those guys are not, you know, name brand players. He did a lot Speaking of Andy Reid, with that offense, with what they had yeah. um, to offer, and and with Donovan McNabb to to be able to play, they got Terrell Owens in in 04, but he didn't even play in the championship game. He played in the Super Bowl, um, but they they are they were he has done an outstanding job offensively scheming, getting guys to to buy into his offense, getting guys to play well and play at a high level. And then you look at what he's doing right now with Patrick Mahomes. You lose Tyreek Hill. Everyone. I think in the sports world, believe that that Patrick Mahomes will take a step back. They mm-hmm. have done. They have not done that at all. I think Patrick's going to win another MVP for the regular season, and you're back in the Super Bowl. You have a a a an offense that is playing at a high level and doing it so well with with a tight end that maybe may go down as one of the greatest tight ends to play the game. Kerry, I don't know if this makes a difference at all, but let me give you two lists of names. Okay, okay. list number one. Romeo Crennel, Josh McDaniels, Nick Saban, Eric Mangini, Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, Brian Flores, Mike Vrabel. Here is list number two. John Harbaugh, Sean McDermott, Doug Peterson, Ron Rivera, Todd Bowles, Brad Childress, Leslie Frazier, Pat Shermer. The first was the Belichick coaching tree. Mm -hmm. The second, obviously, was the Reed coaching tree. Does that carry any weight with you? Yeah, it it shows that he prepares guys to become head coaches and have success in the NFL. And it, it you we were talking about talking to Coach Martz earlier. He said Andy Reid is one of the nicest, sweetest guys you would ever want to be around, which means as a coach on a coaching staff, that's a guy you want to work for. You want to work with. You know he's going to prepare you. And you're going to be in championship games, which can propel you to be a, a head coach at the next level, or I mean at the same level at some point during your career. I got to tell you, just – the fact that he wins a game and he's going to go have a cheeseburger makes me like him more than uh, if, if nothing else. <laughs> throw the cheating out. Throw the beating the, the Rams out. Throw the fact that he's Brady a likable guy. Yeah, he's, he, yeah the, the, you win a game and you say if somebody says, "What are you going to do?" He said, "I'm going to go have a cheeseburger." Makes me like you. Yeah, I. Lo- I mean, and then you think about how everything ends in Philadelphia, like you said, and then the way he re- he he just reemerges. I mean, I, I think that there were people who thought. That Reed was that the the game was passing him by, and he wasn't going to be able to do this again. Yeah. And he immediately comes back and then does it even better. That is such an amazing development. And also on a personal level, for him to go out in Philadelphia in the tragedy in his family that he had to deal with, and then to come back again and have to deal with it again throughout his life, and then yeah, rebuild in, right. in, in Kansas City. And then the situations he's had in Kansas City that have been rough, too. I mean, he's been through a lot of off-field stuff to keep on trucking through all this. It's an incredible, incredible run by, by obviously, like you said, a great coach that it's fun to root for. 
He's fantastic. By the way, and I don't have time to send this to Matthew, so I'm going to just do this now. I'm going to put my microphone over here by my computer. This is after he won the Super Bowl, by the way. There you go. That's it. You win the Super Bowl, and you're going to get the biggest cheeseburger you've ever and seen. It might be a double. <laughs> Love that guy. Coming up next, our first thoughts, our first look, and we will have many of them at. Can we say the Super Yeah, we can say Super yes, Bowl. It's not in a commercial, right? What number is this one? 56? 57. 57? I think it's 57. Okay. Yeah. In sure. Glendale, Arizona. What number? How do you how do you write that in, in Roman numerals? Um, I'm not good with those. Uh, 57? Yeah. Uh, LVII. LVII. So we did, uh, Carrie and I did a trivia night a couple of weeks ago, and I was and thinking. Speaking of which, we didn't get, I, I meant to tell you this. We needed rock there. We did. Because there were some questions, some historical questions that Rock would have answered and no one would have known any answer whatsoever. We'd have been like, well, whatever Rock says. We would have won. We would have won. I love trivia questions for that exact, I love trivia for that exact reason. But one of the questions was, in Y2K, what did the K stand for? Do you get this one right? Oh, a thousand. That's what we thought. No. Really? No. Wait, why? Was it kilo or something? Kilo, which means thousand in Latin? Greek? Greek, yeah. Yeah. But but the K is actually kilo. Oh, they wanted you to say it it stood for kilo, not that it meant for thousand. Oh, okay. Because I asked Carrie, I said, is the thousandth Super Bowl going to be Super Bowl K? (laughs) That's what we thought. (laughs) No, the Roman numeral for a thousand is M, I think. Uh, well, who knows? You would have got that one. We would have got that we one. We would have got it wrong. Uh, yes, the Roman numeral for a thousand is M. It might have been Greek. Take it or leave it. We have a Super Bowl M. Oh, oh God, it. no. Leave that. <laughs> yeah, football. Just we won't be here to see. <laughs> That's safe I to mean, say. As soon as they start bringing in robots, it's going to be a lot less fun to watch. <laughs> so we'll have our, our look at uh, Super Bowl 50 next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. CD just got a bulletin on the text line. Yeah, well, we had a listener that was at the trivia contest they were uh they got 40 out of 80 questions correct is that how many questions we had? i think it was 80 they, they, there were 80 questions there yeah. was 80 questions they got 40 out of 80 that was table one we got 68 out yeah of 80. we were we were pretty good we were strong we, and and still came in like eight I yeah think, there, well like one that. team got 79 so yeah i, I don't know <laughs> I, not saying they were the patriots but i'm not saying they weren't <laughs> Yeah, that, that old line at the start, and I've emceed a lot of trivia nights. That one where you say, "Hey, no, see, no cell phones." You see them under the table. I don't know what they were doing. All right, uh, FanDuel Sportsbook has opened up the Super Bowl with the Eagles as a point and a half favorite. The early over under is forty nine and a half, and Jalen Hurts is the odds on favorite at the moment, at least two weeks out, to win MVP. He's at plus one ten. Let's start with the point and a half spread. CD, what do you think? I I think it's going to boil down to what well, well Kansas City decides to not run the football. They they just for whatever reason they don't have success with it and they're not built to run the football. If you are if you're the Philadelphia Eagles and you can keep the ball out of Travis Kelsey's hand, mm-hmm. you're going to if if 
Valdez Scanling beats us to the tune of what he did the other day, six, carry, six catches for 100-plus yards, I may have to live with that. But I cannot allow Travis Kelsey to go off because I know that's who Patrick Mahomes is going to be looking for. And if the defense can can get some of those issues and, – and if you're looking at Philadelphia, they probably are the team best suited to play that style of defense. They can man up on the outside with their corners – and 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 double team Travis Kelsey in the middle and and still feel comfortable enough to not allow many big pass plays. Which now, if you're if you're Kansas City, you're looking at your third receiver mm-hmm. to to make some big plays and and you can live with that. I don't think Kelsey was healthy yesterday. Do you? I don't think so. But he's he's a gamer. He's a guy that is going to fight through it. He had back spasms. If you know Randy, I, I know you've had you've had dealt with back issues yep. at some point. It is it is one of the worst things you can deal with when your back locks up or you just don't feel right. It, you feel like you just hunched over and it's hard to to walk, let alone run routes. Yeah. So he was able to get out there and get it done. I'm just wondering because everybody in history has said, "Yeah, we're not going to let Travis Kelsey beat us." And then all of a sudden he's open, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen yards down the field. It's amazing how that happens. Huh? It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, but you, you, Buffalo in, in the playoff game a couple of years ago last year. Yeah. They're saying, "Yeah, we'll just we'll, you know what we'll we'll get Kelsey." Here they, they've got 13 seconds left. We'll we'll bracket Kelsey. He's open. He's always open. He's unbelievable. It, it, he's a nightmare matchup for safeties because he's too big. He's a nightmare matchup for linebackers because he's faster than them, quicker than them. So you, you're really limited in who you can put over him, or or you know you want to you want to be on have a guy over the top, a guy underneath of him in coverage, and making sure that he's not able to run those routes. But he finds a way mm-hmm. to be open. And if I'm the if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, that's generally we're going to bracket Ch- Travis Kelsey, and we'll figure out on the outside if those guys can match up with our corners. Here are the guys that I think are going to play the biggest role in the game. Number one, those five guys up front for Philly, and it's going to be Miles Sanders. It's going to be Kenneth Gainwell. It's going to be Boston Scott. You got to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. The yeah. best way to do that is to run the ball, and I do believe they have the capability of doing that. I know how great Chris Jones is, mm-hmm. but I think that the Kansas City against Philly, I think Philly can run on Kansas City. The The reason why Philly can run is because they have a running quarterback, and that gives you an additional player. It gives you an additional blocker where, you know, if you got eight guys to block nine, well, the running back has – there's a free runner. There's a guy that's going to be open and be able to make that tackle. Now – with your running quarterback, it gives you an added element where now we have nine for nine. We can block everybody up, and you don't have anybody, additional additional persons to make tackles. And it makes it difficult on the defense. It makes it hard. And I think that that if I watch that game that that the Philadelphia, Philly, Philadelphia Eagles played yesterday, you scored 31 points, and Jalen Hurts didn't play well. And that mm-hmm, is the right. scary part of, of defending this Eagles team. Jalen Hurts didn't play well. They didn't pass the ball. I think he had 120-something yards passing. They're going to be able to find some routes, find some guys open. A.J. Brown has been been waiting, been waiting mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks for his opportunity to explode. Devontae Smith as well. They're going to have a they, – they probably are going to have one of those big games, breakout games, where offensively it's going to be hard to stop them, and, and it's going to be a good game for the Eagles. Now, on the flip side, a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl, Tampa Bay just – dominated the Chiefs' offensive line. So what do the Chiefs do? They go out and get five new guys during the Mm -hmm. offseason. It's Orlando Brown, it's Joe Tooney, it's Creed Humphrey, it's Trey Smith, it's Andrew Wiley. That group, if healthy, the the key for them is going to be the the health of Patrick Mahomes' ankle. But if that ankle is healthy, 
they're still going to score fast. They're yeah. they're going to be able to score fast if they can protect Mahomes and Mahomes can get out, play his game. That's all. He 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 didn't play his game yesterday, Matthew. That's that's my biggest thing is is going to be this Eagles pass rush that almost set a record this year for sacks. We've seen a lot of great quarterbacks be neutralized in the playoffs simply because a four man rush is able to get to them consistently. The, maybe the greatest offense we've ever seen, Tom Brady and the Patriots. That's how they were slowed down by the New York Giants, holding them to under twenty points. If the Eagles can do that, it changes things because not only does it does it potentially factor into the injury Mahomes, you were just talking about the ability to double Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. It gets a lot easier when you never have to send a single linebacker or a safety or a cornerback on a blitz. Right. All those coverages get easier when you know he's not we're gonna be able to double Kelsey and we're not gonna let Patrick sit back there for longer than than a couple seconds. That combination is the only way I think they stop Travis Kelsey. That that's the one thing that the Cincinnati Bengals lacked yesterday. They don't have a true definitive pass rusher, a guy that gets after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. You got you got Sam Hubbard uh and, and, Hendrickson. and, and Hendrickson on the edge. They they are good for run defense and they'll get to the quarterback every now and then, but they're not elite pass rushers. Philadelphia has so many defensive linemen that they're gonna run out there, they're gonna rush you and they're they've got pass rushers that can get to the quarterback. You were talking about Robert Quinn who led the league in sacks at one one year when he was with the Rams, I believe yeah, but or, then or right there. Just a just a, a, a guy that can Get after the quarterback. Hassan Reddick, you got guys up the middle uh, uh, applying pressure. Ndamukong Sue is, I, I don't know how old he is now, but he's still able to get to the quarterback. He's the one that had the hit on Josh Johnson yesterday to put him out of the game. So you got guys on that front four that can get to the quarterback and can rotate in and out, which allows you, again, to play coverage and play man outside if you need to, where I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for Patrick Mahomes, as long as they don't give up those rush lanes, get too wide in their gaps and allow him to, you know, split it and get up the middle for eight yards or and pick up a first down, things are going to be a tough time for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs to beat this this Philadelphia Eagles team. We will have Super Bowl 57 for you here on 101 ESPN a week from this coming Sunday. That's Kerry. That's Matthew. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch. BK and Ferrario are coming up at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. We've got What's on Tap as we head towards their fine program next year on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Pipeline has their new top 100 prospects list out, and Cardinals are featured five times on the top 100 prospects list. Of course, you have Jordan Walker at the top, along with Gordon Graceffo. The Cardinals also have Mason Wynn at number 50, Tink Hentz, who will be their closer in the future. He is going to uh, come in this year at number 77. Graceffo, 79, Alec Burleson comes in at number 91. So the Cardinals, while they called up a lot of players in 2022 and brought up guys like Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman, and uh, the full opportunity was given to uh, a player like Lars Newtbar, the Cardinals are still turning out prospects and they, they should be good for a while if, indeed, MLB Pipeline knows what they're talking about. It's exciting. I, I think it's always, you know, to, to have that many prospects on the list and understand that the future is bright. 
right now we're in a window that I think they're in a window where they can win now. Um, but knowing that 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 it could be sustainable over the next three to five years after maybe Goldie is is on his way out and and you know Arenado is the the team leader and then you got Jordan Walker and then you have Mason Wynn coming up, uh, Graceffo. You got you got a lot of talent that is 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 ready and waiting to to come up here and help this team out. The one thing that I I don't really like about baseball is the fact that they they force those guys to wait because they want to mm-hmm. manage the clock. They don't want those guys coming in. They don't want their clock to start sooner so that they go to uh, arbitration sooner than they would if they if they wait a little bit longer. I think if you're the uh, Players Association for Major League Baseball, though, I think those guys should, should look into that because you want to get paid and you want to yeah. play as soon as possible. And, and teams have an option to, to kind of hold you back and not allow you to get out there and do your thing. One of the advantages that young players have is they're going to have is that we are going to have a minor league players union that'll benefit them. I would not be surprised, CD, if we see Graceffo with the Cardinals this year. This year. Mm-hmm. His ETA is 2023. 20, he throws hard. He was brilliant at the end of last season. I would think that aside from Walker, we'll see Graceffo ahead of Wynn, ahead okay. of Hentz, and ahead. Of, well, we've already seen Alec Burleson. Yeah. But I, I think we'll, we'll see Graceffo ahead of those other two prospects. Do we kind of just... Not think about Alec Burleson. He he's on the top 100 prospects, but we never talk about him. We don't. And it was it doesn't feel like he got enough opportunities to really show his stuff last season. It, there's going to be hopefully more more at bats, more opportunities for him to to actually show why he is a top 100 prospect. We it's it's like we just skip past his name. We talk about Newt. We talk about uh, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson and and all of these people that that could potentially be in the outfield, but his name does not get mentioned enough. It's not fair because yeah, he was yeah. really productive last year at Memphis. Uh, had a 904 OPS, hit 20 homers, drove in 87 in only 432 at bats. He's got speed. Mm-hmm. He can hit for power. He he hit 331 in the minors, and I think we do. We we just look at the other guys, and we don't. We just don't give him enough credit for being as talented as he is. We think their upside is a little bit better than than his, but yep. there's a, a real possibility that you know spring training he could show something that you know maybe you don't you're not getting from from a Tyler O'Neill or, or a Dylan Carlson because those those have been guys that we've talked about. If guys, if they're healthy, if they're performing at a level. Well, what if what if Alec Burleson performs at a level that that he's that 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 his prospects show that he's been able that he showed that he can be? Wouldn't that be something? That would be that would be. I mean, you're you're in a win win situation at that point. We keep talking about a left handed power hitter, right? He might be on the. He might already be on the team. Yeah. Even though the Cardinals have these guys, and again, it's Walker, it is Win, it is Graceffo, it is Hence, and it is Burleson. None of those five is my favorite top one hundred prospect. My favorite top 100 prospect is number 75, and okay. his name is Brian Rocchio, R-O-C-C-H-I-O. Hey. Cleveland Guardians middle infielder. I've been, I've been waiting for this guy to come up, <laughs> except for the fact that he pronounces the last name differently. Are you gonna, Well, Are you, no, he, no, he's no pronouncing it wrong. Yes, you're right. No relation? No relation. No, uh, he is uh, now. I, I, do not, I do not have any, uh, uh, you know, no, no Colombians that I'm aware of, but <laughs> listen, I, I, I love my video games, and I've, I've played a fair amount. I've been okay. playing Madden since I was quite a young kid, and I've done a lot of creative players, and there's been a lot of time where it's just been player catches a 38-yard pass, but now with the new technology they have, yeah. when a player gets brought up 
they put the name in the game. So in a couple of years, when Brian Rocchio is in the game, I'll finally be able to create a player with the last there name Rocchio, go. and they will say the last name <laughs> on the broadcast. It'll be, I've been waiting for this day for a long time, and I, I found out about him like two years ago. Scheduled to make his debut in 2023. Let's go! Is uh, So you're going to buy the sweater. That's the question. I think I think I especially I mean it, I just wish it wasn't a Guardians one. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they're do the maybe, they're my, maybe their minor league team has a good has a good yeah. thing I could go with. Play everybody. Are they, are they play Munheads? Munheads. Do they play them here? Are they the I Toledo so. Munheads? Toledo Munheads? Might be. We gotta find oh, out. Oh man. You gotta, the, if they if they play here, right? Oh the Tigers. You gotta, oh. you gotta wear a uh a Rockio jersey. Yeah, you yeah, do. I think I do. I think you gotta represent. I think it's definitely something that I, I've been thinking about. I'm, I'm gonna have to get. I need to find out what their like minor league teams are because I don't. I don't. The Guardians is such a terrible, such a terrible name for a team. So, uh, Kerry, when Adam Carricker was at Nebraska, I was <laughs> relentless in my pursuit of the Rams drafting him, and they do so in the first round. I called him Cousin Adam the whole okay. time. Okay, we play. Okay, hold on a second. Okay, they uh, give me his jersey. They give me. They, they give me a number ninety character. There you jersey. go. Some, he, then he sucked. Brian Brian Rocchio <laughs> took 430 plate appearances in 2022 for the Akron Rubber Ducks. If I can find a Akron Rubber Ducks hey. jersey with Rocchio on the back, I'm buying in a split second. Go for it. There Absolutely. We drove by at the Hall of Fame. We drove by the uh, when Michelle and I went to the Hall of Fame for DV. Drove by the Akron Rubber Ducks Stadium. There's a really good restaurant right near the really? Akron Rubber Ducks Stadium. Hmm. So now you know via radio. <laughs> Uh, we loved being with you till 11. We're going to be with you till 11 all week long because Friday. vacation for McKernan and Action Jackson. Not Friday. Not Friday. So we get off oh, early on Friday. That's Friday we get off a normal time. Yeah. Normal time Friday. Good. Yeah. Great cool. job by our producer engineer, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Uh, CD, great to have you back. There we go. Uh, it is great to have Kerry Davis back. And again, if you want to hear Mike Martz or any of our interviews throughout the course of today, all you need to do is go to the 101 ESPN app or 101ESPN.com. Listen to the podcast brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That's right. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.